Welcome to Auto Catch Up. It's uh, we're recording a little bit later than we normally do on twelfth uh, of July, but a whole heap of news has happened. Formula One is back, and um, to talk all about it, I've got Joel uh, Strickland and Mick McWilliams joining me once again. Welcome, gentlemen. Evening, guys. Ahoy. Oh, so uh, it's been a busy, busy week of news. We've I've, I've had a couple of late nights uh, watching Formula One uh, back at the with the Austrian GP and obviously the uh, Styrian GP or Austrian GP What's, second time round. What is that? What's the Styrian? What does that mean? So it's actually it's the, lo- the location. It's actually in Styria, is the little part of Austria, and um, apparently. They've renamed it that way. A probably to keep sponsors happy to you know to help keep things nice and um, segmented. But apparently, um, a country can't host more than one GP, so they've renamed it to kind of you know uh. Uh, janky up the rules without needing to try too hard. Nice, um, nice. Even though the official hashtag has remained, according to the Formula One um, media communications, it's still Austrian GP for this weekend. So. Um, right. Yeah. It's caused a bit of confusion. Some great tweets from uh, the Formula One teams as well. So that's been, it's probably been a great way to keep uh, keep occupied uh, this um, this week with everything going down. Um, but what have you guys been driving this week, uh, Mick? You've been having a bit of fun in the orange beast, I, I think. Yeah. No, I have. So yeah, the six speed manual um, turbo Veloster. Um, obviously, I talked about how much I liked the um, the two liter Veloster last week with the with the auto, and unsurprisingly, this is kind of the next level up. Well, I do find with the turbo, and this is kind of par for the course with with most turbos, you don't get that same. I don't know. You sort of lose a bit of graveliness because all your power is coming from a from a turbine. Whereas mm. you know when you got the two liter and you you rev it, you get a bit more. Um, a bit more audio feedback, I guess. Undoubtedly, the turbo clearly performs better. Yeah. Um, I really, I think I'd really like to try the manual um, two-liter, just to try and get a bit of a um, uh, a bit more context around it. Like I, I'm loving driving the 1.6 turbo with a six-speed manual. The six, the six-speed is so easy to drive. Yeah. Um, it's really good. I, it is. I mean, I I did stall it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but only because I had one wheel in clay because it's been quite muddy up here. <laughs> I was at the markets and I had one wheel in clay. I didn't want to spin the wheel too much. And when you get mm-hmm. that little bit of torque from the turbo, I was being very gentle and I kept conking out, but no one saw me. So let's just keep it between you and me. <laughs> um, but I, the other thing I liked about the two liter two or the base models is they don't have the superfluous bodywork. Like you know, on the um, on the All turbo, the they've got the around black the plastic around the side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, that's that's not really my thing. I'd, I'd I'd be happy if you could actually get rid of those, like a delete op- option or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, everything else in the car is. I mean, I've driven this one before, um, so I'm quite familiar with it. So I had a lot more fun with it this time. I had a lot more confidence in what I could do and what I could play with. I took it along that um, same route I talked about last week, mm-hmm. and I could yeah put another 10k's on there pretty easily around the um the corner i put 10ks on last time after trying three times <laughs> so you know that shows you there's a little bit more capability there and again that's the sort of stuff that i enjoy you know having a the opportunity to learn how to push a car a little bit harder and a little bit faster and do things a little bit easier mm-hmm. just 
on a safety note, I always drive two crashes high, which is an old pilot's term. Um, so when you see guys doing practicing acrobatics, they don't practice mm-hmm. it close to the ground. They always have a little bit of a safety margin mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how I drive too. So, yeah. um, you know, always got room to room to move, mm-hmm. room to dodge. Um, when I'm driving, I'm always looking around in a million different directions so I can see which cars are coming the other way so I can avoid stuff. Mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. had to do a, um, a, um, a critical maneuver to miss a duck uh, so there was one on the road coming the other way um, oh, in the right-hand lane. There was another car coming the other way, and the duck darted out the way of that guy and straightened in my way, which I darted around, and my son was most impressed because I have <laughs> killed one or two birds with mm. kids in the car. They're not, not a big fan of that. No. Um, I'm going to say yeah. it's an extreme way to play the game Duck, Duck, Goose. It is. It is. <laughs> Especially when there's a lot of gooses around. That's but, you know, I, well, what I like about Especially the Veloster... Especially driving the car. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I like about the Veloster, and I, practically the three-door solution is a bit wacky. You know, the so the two doors on the on the passenger mm-hmm. side, you've got two standard-sized doors. They're basically like the same size as an I-30 door, basically. Yeah. And the driver's side door is a long one, like a proper coupe door. So it looks pretty sporty on that side, and the other side looks a little bit out of sorts. Um, but that long door, if you've got to get out of a narrow parking spot, you've got to try and open that door further to give you the same amount of gap to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... And unlike a coupe door, which are traditionally frameless, so they won't have the, um, the, yeah, yeah. the door body go up and around the window, I feel like you also lose a little bit of flexibility. You know, you, you, it, it's only a small amount, you know, it's only a couple of inches that you kind of gain by not having the frame around the window yeah. but when you're trying to squeeze in and out it kind of makes all the difference um, yeah well my normal cars are um 2009 liberty and that's frameless doors yeah and I, I do notice the extra space i mean i'm six foot six and 120 kilos so i'm mm-hmm. not small mm-hmm. um so that little extra inch is is pretty handy for someone <laughs> of my size um i did one of the guys at work um was asking me about the Veloster and he was standing on the driver's side and I went around and put my um, computer bag and jacket in the back seat. I opened the back one. He's like, how did you do that? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I showed it to him and it was, it was interesting because like, it made me then think about the fact that not only did a designer come up with this idea to have three doors, some, <clears throat> something that we, you know, he recognises additional cost for left-hand and right-hand drive markets because they've got to do a mirror image for each of the body Mm -hmm. types. Um, So not only did a designer come up with it and think it was a good idea, but a whole committee of other people looked at it and went, yep, that's a great idea. Yeah, and and that's always been the thing that's stuck in the back of my mind when... um, you know, car makers always complain about the cost of doing right-hand drive. And the Veloster has always stood out as a, the shining example of your argument isn't valid because look at yep. the engineering be done. feat that be done. goes into, you know, the, in the obscene cost of, because normally it's the, the you know, even if, if we forget electric steering, but like, you know, the steering column, the brakes, the pedals, it, like a lot of stuff has to change that isn't just like moving the steering wheel from one side to the other. Like it actually changes yep. the layout um, on some core things within yep. that engine bay as well. Well, you look at it, it's one, it's one car and they've had to design six doors yep. for a coupe. Yeah. And, which is crazy. And even somewhere, you know, somewhere that I, I also think going, actually, 
Hyundai have the ability, if they wanted to, to actually make a three-door version and like in terms of you know a, an, a true coupe version of this yep. car because I just have to mate you know just go okay on the right hand side we're doing you know the um you know that's just we'll use that coupe side use that coupe side mash and them together done. and like it's possible because obviously they're going to like the, the extreme of building um and having the manufacturing process for you know each left hand drive and right hand drive so yeah um, but it must make managing parts an absolute nightmare yep. It is good, like it's a level, a level of. I don't know if you guys can hear that. It's just raining here, um, but it, it shows the level of courage that um, the Korean brands have got at the mm. moment. They're willing mm-hmm. to take risks and do yeah. difficult and strange things, and it pays off, you know, because that mm. that stands out. It's it's not just another coupe. It is a you know a three door. And, and the thing is, is that I think um, it it. it took me until driving this Veloster for the second time to really um, realize how popular the first generation Veloster here was, at least here in Brisbane. Like, I see them all the time yeah. um, with that first generation. Even the turbo. I, I see plenty of turbos going around. Some people throwing a little few mods on there, you know, cosmetic things and that. And, um, you know... And when when that car first launched, I said, "This is stupid. This is a dumb idea. I can't believe they're doing it." <laughs> but obviously, it it has um, made an impact on people who you know. It, it has found a set of buyers that it appeals to, and um, you know, and enough so that they've actually you know made it to a second generation of a car. Normally, this type of thing doesn't get a second generation to to mature and you know iron out a few of the things that people don't like and to actually have a chance to make a better car than before. So, and and now we're getting you know because obviously it's got a really great. Um, chassis in it they've got the end version as well so it's even they've taken it and, and it's now properly you know it's a proper part of the hyundai lineup and part of that performance range which they're building um here and around the world and you go you know that's that's i can't see many other car manufacturers at the moment doing that um and so you know it's no it's cool to see it's cool to see particularly a brand you know an affordable brand um not just yep. a you know a luxury brand or anything like that but an actual you know everyday brand you know and you can jump into one of these at a fairly reasonable cost as well if you're wanting you yep. know some level of performance without going to extreme and you know that's pretty cool it's nice to nice to have yeah, I, I, when, when I saw, it was funny you said about the first time you saw one and thought, oh, you know, this is this is a bit silly. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw one, I went and got in it, and uh, you know, I'd, I hadn't really experienced the Hyundai brand at all at that stage, and I kind of went in with the same idea, thinking it was a bit silly. But when mm-hmm. I actually sat in one at a dealer, I thought, oh, you know, this is actually pretty fun. They've. Can you guys even still hear me? Yeah, yep. yeah, we can hear you. We can. I think uh, your microphone's working really hard to filter out that rain. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but we can yeah, hear. But I, I did find it to be a lot of fun. I um, I enjoyed all the details they put in because they did things like um, the racier looking seats and a, and a few other bits and pieces that just really made it stand out from the other what were basically just similar sort of coupes on the market at the time so Mm -hmm. you know they've been rewarded for being uh adventurous and that's that's a good thing yeah no so um yeah so when when does that one go back and and what do you jump into next uh so i give that back on wednesday and i'm back in the kona ev which should be fun um 
I've actually got a few things I'm going to talk about, particularly with, uh, I've done a bit of investigation about the hydrogen industry, which I'll cover with you guys later about the detail, cool. um, but probably next week. I'll put it against the back of the EV um, story when I've driven the Kona as well. Excellent. Cool. But yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, looking forward to it. It's, it's, um, and, a, and a new bit of news has come out uh, this week about hydrogen as well. Um, Hyundai have given more details around, you know, their semi truck and everything like that. So it's um, it's certainly it, it seems to be all of a sudden um, we we spoke about it briefly, and then all this news and all this activity is happening. So that's pretty cool, and, and um, yeah, nice to be interesting to have that conversation uh, following that. Yeah, but uh, but what about you, Joel? What have you uh, been driving, and then uh, obviously uh, maybe not driving uh, because uh, you've been stuck in Victoria at the moment. Uh, so yeah, I handed back the uh, went back on Friday the Renault Colios Intense four by four. It was in this lovely white. Um, it's one of those cars I've, I've driven it before, and this time I spent a, a little bit more time in it. Um, and um, just looking at little things that I didn't pick up last time, but it's a really well sorted um, SUV. Uh, it it feels it feels big, but it's not big. Like it's big, it feels mm. big in the right ways. Mm. Um, it's got lots of space inside. Um, it's really comfy to drive. Um, it's got a full size spare. So after the few other things I've had recently that I've had space savers, this thing has a full size spare. Um, but it's just a pleasure to drive. Like the big sunroof in it, that's lots of lighting. It's got really great vision when you drive it. Look, it's a little bit sluggish off the line um, until it sort of gets up and goes. But, you know, for people that are buying that car, they want it because it's an SUV. They want it for the space. Um, it, it's it's really well sorted. Um and you know the tech in it's really good um, it doesn't have um, adaptive cruise it only has normal cruise which I thought was yeah. a little bit weird because the Megane had the adaptive cruise um, so that, I thought that was a little bit weird I need to go back and have a look and see whether it's an option that, they're, that they've got but um, yeah that was kind of a, a, a bit of a weird standout for me um, Space-wise, it's pretty good. Like, um, I got my wife to sit, who's a bit taller than me, in the back seat behind where I have my seat, and she still had plenty of room in the in the second row. Um, boot space, as I said, is really good. Um, mm. it, I love simple... It's just the simple things that excite me in cars, and for this, it was the, the fact that to roll the seats forward, I had to put uh, one of my long bags in the in the car during the week, um, and I had to put the seat forward, fold the seats forward, um, and... And it's a simple. There's just a pool level in the back that you that instantly flattens the seat um, very very easily. So just a simple thing mm. like that, like an easy fold forward. Um, the seats also got you know the ability to recline it a little bit more if you want to set that up for for your second row passengers. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just it's just little things. The the center console. They're the best, aren't they? Like when you get in a car and you need to do something and you go, oh, there's a button for it. Oh, there's yeah. a bit of pull, and it's just yeah. The thing, one of the things that bugged me about the Magam was that it, the the control for, and it's the same the same setup. It's got obviously cruise, and then obviously the the speed limit. The speed limit button is absolutely brilliant in these things. It's so good, you know, for school zones and stuff like that, or mm-hmm. construction construction zones because there, there's been a heap in Victoria of late. So you literally just hit the the, the button, but where it sits in the um, in the 
in the Coleos's, it's just behind the gear stick in a really good spot. You can find it easily when you're driving, so you don't have to look away from the road. Um, the Magana was a bit further back, so it was a little bit harder to, to reach, but this is great. It's a little toggle, so you can kind of feel where it is. But yeah, that speed limit thing is just a, it's just a simple little thing. Um, it's easy to drive. It's easy to park. Uh, we went to the supermarket the other night, and it was just—it's just easy. And it would be nice. And again, it's one of those things that after you start driving more cars, it's the—it's it's the little things that you miss. Things like 360 cameras or extra angles, like the, the Forester had that um, passenger you side to, wheel cam. To really become a, a really big snob, yeah. When it comes to going, ah, <laughs> oh, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that. And you go, it's the worst thing ever because it doesn't. Have have these three things even though and we've spoken about this before where sometimes it's easy to forget when you're driving lots of cars you know in particular a lot of new cars going okay sometimes you know the average i think the average time somebody holds onto their car is about seven years at the moment and so you're going okay a lot has changed in seven years so if you're getting if you're jumping out of a seven-year-old car which could even be you know a, a model that is what that was already you know three years old um, so to them, it's a huge technical technological leap, and then yeah. they may not actually miss those features. Uh, yeah, and, um, that's, and that's the thing is that you're coming from a car, you know, like my daily, which is which is you know, getting on in, in its years at the moment, where it's the simple things like Bluetooth or Apple CarPlay or you know the powered powered um, powered rear tailgate in this thing um mm. you know it's it's the ability to have cruise control or air conditioning or you know electric windows mm. or a sunroof mm. it's all stuff or even a reverse camera it's stuff that you might have a car that you're coming from so yeah when you get into this thing it does seem to have everything that you want but it's not until that you drive something else that has something yeah. that you really like that you then go yeah, oh, a bit of that contrast yeah mm. that's the kind of weird thing so um yeah i really enjoyed my time in the Colios again I really like it. Um, I really want to go and drive a few other things that's in that same segment just to see. Yeah. A friend of mine just bought um, a new SUV and uh, they ended up buying a CRV and they drove everything. Um, had just little things that they didn't like about certain things. So um, I'm keen to drive more in this segment just to, to see what else is out there because I reckon the Colios is pretty good in terms of for mm. what it is and, and price point and, and, and stuff like that. It's it's pretty impressive. So um, I, I I preferred the Coleos over its um, its uh, cousin, the X Trail, um, even because it shares a lot of the same underpinning, same engine, all that kind of stuff. And um, I found the Renault just to be a nicer, forgetting the cosmetic and you know material features that are in you know that separate the two. I found the driving experience just nicer. Um, well, it's, ele- it's electric handbrake for one, mm. um, and it's just you're right. Those finishes inside are just so nice, heated and cooled seats. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got it's got everything that you would kind of want um, in 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 it. And it, as I said, like you said, Ash, the, the whole the look on it. I think that's the other thing. It's a car that I've that. I don't own it, but I still would look back at it and go, it's a good-looking car. Like, it's yeah. got really nice lines. The um, the LED, the light system in it now, front and rear, so the headlights and the taillights are all this beautiful, you know, nice lines of LED light, and it's really, really good-looking mm. thing. Um, it's such a simple design um, element, but I think those head... Like, like what you mentioned, those headlights and those taillights actually really 
elevate the look yeah. of the Renault. Really, like, I, I think really it really makes a part like of you, you can You can see like the Renault headlight mm. shape for the LEDs, the same on the Megane as well. They've yeah. just, they've got an identity with those, and a lot yeah. of cars haven't managed to do that. They're just like, oh, there's mm. another line. Mm. Yeah, it's the C-shaped lights that they're, they're, they're now using across the range. You know, I actually said to the guys at Renault when we were first booking these, I said, oh, have you got a, uh, a Kajar? I really want to drive a Kajar because I want to see what that's mm. like as well mm. because having mm. spent a little bit of time with the Crolios prior to being back in it this week, um, I'm really keen to to try to drive that now and just for something that little bit smaller and just see what it's like being again mm. that same family uh, you know in related to the to its Nissan siblings mm. um, I'm keen to see what that's like now for something that little bit smaller mm. um, but yeah it's looked good sitting in my driveway uh, it was sad to see it go back Um as you mentioned, Ash, yeah, we're in lockdown here in Victoria at the moment as we're trying to um, flatten the curve uh, again. Um, so I've pushed all my uh, next bunch of cars uh, a few weeks uh, until after lockdown is hopefully lifted um, just so I can stay safe and um, keep our community safe by, uh, by sort of staying home. Um, so I'm a bit disappointed. There's a couple of cool things that I had uh, coming up that I was looking forward to getting behind the wheel of. But with the rescheduled, I'm actually even happier because a couple of them I've got for a little bit longer. So, uh, And the weather should hopefully be a bit better by then. So I'm looking forward to that. But what I do have is I managed to score a review copy of the new Formula 1 2020 Schumacher edition. Um, mm. So I'm going how's, to, that, how's that been? I haven't even turned it. I've literally set it up today <laughs> to download. Right. Okay. Um, so it's been downloading onto my Xbox. Um, I hope to get on to it the next couple of days I've got a bit of work to finish um, the next Shannon's auction's coming up at the end of August so mm-hmm. I've been uh, in filming mode and, and editing mode so there's some cool stuff as Mick would attest uh, I sent him a care package of images uh, the other day from the next uh, Shannon's auction mm-hmm. um, and I had fun um, filming some very cool 90s JDM uh, during the week including, including a stunning Honda NSX uh, Celica GT4 and a Mitsubishi oh, GT4 Oh, that's beautiful. Well, yeah, there's a beautiful trio there. That these it, three it, are, are just stunning. Like the NSX is. Isn't it funny uh, though? <laughs> I was going to say that it's funny the difference between the standard Celica. You kind of go, oh, you know, bit of a hairdresser's car, and then in the GT4, it's just drool. Oh. You know what I mean? And the thing is, this thing's blue. Like, a lot of them you saw are either sort of yellow, uh, white or, or red or sort of black. This thing's this dark navy blue with grey with, with the grey doors. It looks good, but it's very... Yeah. You don't see the aggressive lines and everything on it as much as you would in, if it was white. Um, but then the 3000 GT is this flat grey, which I don't think I've seen before. And again, I, I jumped in. I just had to jump in and sit in them during the week because, you know, I... I I love my 90s cars and it was cool to actually just be in all of them from one to another but getting in the NSX that was just magic that thing is brilliant with the special 15 inch rims on it it's got 15s mm. you know mm. this is a car that was developed by it and Senna um, and it's just you know one of those most amazing cars so yeah that's coming up to auction so um, at the end of August uh, for their online auction so keep an eye out have for- you uh, have you seen that video of Senna driving the yep. NSX on the oh, I think uh, it's on the promo day video. it's absolutely brilliant 
That's parts. amazing. Yeah, he's pedalling it with boat shoes on, you know. You know, he's with loafers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's just absolutely giving it to it. And yeah, that that sweet sound. But yeah, it's um it's a very, very nice collection of stuff in there. Um mm-hmm. there's some really cool stuff. So yeah, I'm in uh, video editing mode at the moment trying to, to get through all the content for the guys. Uh, we're heading back tomorrow to film film some more stuff. So um yeah, nice big wear, empty warehouse, so nice and easy to uh socially distance inside there. <laughs> nice. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully that curve does get flattened, uh, so we can uh, get you back out on the road again and um, getting your opinion on some of the cars. But um, yeah, so Joel, until then, uh, mask or mask or no mask tomorrow? Uh, well, because tomorrow we're is, we can safely socially distance um, very easily, being quite a big space, and and I don't need to be close to anyone to do what I'm doing. Uh, mm-hmm. No mask tomorrow, but anywhere else. Um, um, leaving the house, so I've already got a stockpile uh, of masks ready to go for when we start going back to supermarkets. We've just done a shop this, you know, in the last week, um, just to get what we need for the next week. But yeah, when we head back again, masks are ready to go when we walk out the door. All right. Well, uh, hopefully everybody else follows in the same example and um, yeah, sort of smashes and gets that looked after. Yeah, um, I can only hope. Mm. But uh, so this week I've been a little bit busy um, with a couple of cars. So the first one is the uh, Suzuki Swift Sport Turbo, um, and uh, that was a you know essentially I, I wrapped it up in a in a in a pretty short way with a friend of mine and said, look. It is a very well done, budget conscious Mini Cooper S. Um, its styling is, um, it's still very much Suzuki, but you can see there's some elements, you know, it's kind of like a, an abstract uh, take on a Mini Cooper. And I mean that in a really good way. Like it, it's a design that, that works. Um, it's got a lot of pep. It's got a lot of um, a lot of features that you'll find um, in in more premium cars. It does have your radar, cruise control. It's got your lane departure warning, um, your collision avoidance, rear cameras, sensors, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so this. Um, the engine that's in it is a 1.4 liter, what they call like booster jet. So it's a, a turbo, um, turbo, a little four-cylinder turbo engine, 103 kilowatts of power. So, you know, in something that doesn't weigh very much, you know, it's a it's a pretty pretty good little package. Um, so yeah, I found the seats really comfortable, plenty of space, very practical car for its size. Um, whether you're, you're sitting in the back or sitting up front with a little bit of luggage in the boot, um, it does have a very high roof line. So even um, even you, Mick, I reckon you'd probably fit in not too bad. Um, yeah, I noticed that actually because when, when I saw you last week and you had it parked next to the Veloster, mm. uh, I did notice how, how high it sat. Yeah. One thing else I notice with Suzuki owners, they're always happy with their Suzuki. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah. They always love them. So yeah. Well, I think that the Suzuki have, have done a so they've really narrowed in on to like that micro and, and small car um, segment with their passenger vehicles, and obviously they've got their SUVs. But even then, they're aiming at that that smaller. Um, 
lower end of the market, but doing a really good job of it. And the the payoff for that is, um, you know, they've constantly won awards for the cheapest car to own and run. Um, as well as, you know, a whole heap of other value-orientated awards. And I think it really shows in just um, the way the product is executed in terms of it, it, it is built in a way that, um, like, if you jump on car sales or any other online, you know, classifieds for it, you'll be blown away at how well Suzuki Swifts hold their value, um, particularly yep. the sport models. It is bonkers. Like if you, if you, I was even talking to the to the, and this is going back a little while, but talking to the general manager of um, Suzuki Queensland, and he was looking at buying a used vehicle for his daughter, who was just you know starting to learn how to drive and and that kind of thing, and even for him looking at used Swifts, he's going, I can't believe how expensive they are um, because people just love to hold on to them and they don't generally last that long in the used market because they tend to be very reliable for what they are um, and, yep. and reasonably cheap to service. And really, they're kind of the only brand that I can confidently say that every time I've tested one, I've been able to meet or, you know, or even better the um, the fuel consumption um, sticker that's on the window, um, yeah, right. which I think is a pretty pretty you know these days a pretty good feat. <laughs> um, a lot of uh, a lot of other makers tend to sort of overestimate how you know it has to be in a very specific set of. Um, conditions to be able to get something close to it but most of the time in fairly normal standard um circumstances i'm able to actually match that sticker which i think is a pretty pretty good um achievement but so yeah i I really enjoyed it i went go-karting on um wednesday night to a to one of those indoor drifting um places and i probably took the wrong car because i've got also the the Toyota Camry SL um I had it at that same time and I thought no I'll, I'll take the I'll take the Swift and um let a few other people check out the car because there was a few other car people there and um but I remember hopping out of the car we're going cool let's let's go grab a feed and um it was only about five minutes after jumping out of the car I jumped into the car and the first time I hit the accelerator accelerator pedal just absolutely floor it and the whole you know the the turbo kicks in and i'm off like a rocket because i'm expecting not a lot of pedal travel and you know not a lot of performance out of these go-karts and i was off and then i hit the brake and i just slammed my head against the the wheel because obviously the brakes are a bit better in a in a car than they are in a (laughs) a go-kart so that was a bit of fun but overall like i think it's the only thing that probably um from a from a running cost perspective, because you can jump into one of these for like twenty six, twenty seven thousand, um, which I think is a pretty pretty fair price for the the t- chart topping premium model. Um, but in terms of the only thing that I can sort of flag as being a bit of a costly exercise over the life is the tires. So they that they have Conti Contact Sport threes on them. It's a decent um, tire for that car. Yeah, so and and it and they've always used it. Like even when I first drove my um, uh, Swift Sport back in 2012, you know, back then they were using the same tire, and obviously it, it matches because it's very easy to spin the front wheels um, in this car, and there's so much performance for the weight of the car that you really do need the better 
better tyres. I think if they went for anything less, um, you'd be in for a world of world of hurt and trouble from a performance point of view. But you know those tyres aren't cheap, particularly at the size which they use. So there's not too many brands or options or anything if you want to go, um, you know, down the line of ownership and go, okay, it's time for new tyres. I want to look at what options there are. Um, so it's going to be a reasonably expensive. Um, exercise like last time i looked and you know prices for tires change all the time but i think it's like 250 to 300 dollars a tire each corn like each each wow. tire itself um which for those tires is a fairly standard price but when you're comparing it to a, you know when you're putting them on a twenty-seven thousand dollar car you know that's pretty expensive um so yeah. that's really kind of like the only only draw it's not really a drawback but kind of like the thing that you tuck away in the back of your mind of like okay i need to prepare for that probably a little bit longer down the line rather than waiting to the last minute going ah okay i need new tires oh crap it's going to be a really expensive exercise for me to to change them um yeah i think it's the same too with the um with the kia rio gt mm. same thing very expensive rubber on the corners for a um a fairly cost-effective effective proposition to start with yeah but yeah you just sort of got to keep that in the back of your mind the support costs yeah, yeah. so look you know and there. obviously they've made the smart choice they haven't you know compromised the tires and said look we need to keep it to a dollar a dollar amount so we're going to put lesser rubber on there or, or a, a cheaper performance alternative on there um so i think look you know kudos to them for sticking with the good tires um to match the car's performance um, but yeah, it's it's just like you, know, you flag it because a salesperson won't tell you that. I don't know how many people would actually look at the brand of the tire and investigate the cost of replacing those tires when they're going to to buy a vehicle. Um, but yeah. it's just like just yeah, logistics just, just nerds like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just it's just one of those things. Flag it because it's a great car. Otherwise, it's fantastic for what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, I. I, I Always enjoyed the the Swiss Sport, and and now that they added the turbo and everything, I think it just suits the 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 personality of that car even more. Uh, Speaking of personalities, tell mm. me what you thought about the Camry. By bipolar, like it, <laughs> it, it, it I think SL, it that's the mid range, isn't it? Yeah, so it gives you it gives you the impression that it's a fairly sporty affair from the outside. Like it looks fairly aggressive. Like you know the proportions yep. are a little bit funny because it is a really long car. Um, because I think it's probably been a long time since I really spent time with a medium to large ish sedan versus an SUV or yep. compact car or anything like that. So you kind of have to reorientate yourself with that and you go, okay, I just need to remember that this is designed to have four adults comfortably sitting in the car um, and, you know, do its job. But um, in that dark, like, you know, that Cabri purple blue color, it's I felt like color. I was a little bit like a, a like a, an AFP vehicle with the Victorian plates and, um, <laughs> and that. And, uh, but I think, it, I think it comes back to sort of how you described it when you had it, Mick, was that you, you just felt wanting a little bit more. I think um, the biggest area for improvement was is probably just a slight facelift on the inside um yeah like for me the sticking point is always lack of car play i think you know for me i find that as important to myself and i think a lot of other people find that 
as something important. Um, quirky that it doesn't have heated seats. I really would have loved to have had heated seats. Kind of surprised not that it doesn't. Seats. It's a luxury. Oh, look, I think it on, on one side, everyone like for a for for as long as I can remember, people have always made the jokes like, "Oh, in Queensland, you want cooled seats. You don't want the heated seats. Who needs heated seats in Queensland?" Blah 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 blah. And it seems like Toyota finally listened to that and said okay, we won't put the, the heated seats in, we'll put cooled seats, and then all of a sudden I'm saying, no, that's not what I want. <laughs> and <laughs> But the thing is, I would have loved to have both because, you know, we do, you know, and this is just a, this is a regional thing. Like this is a, a, a Queensland sort of, you know, and northern parts of Australia sort of issue rather than a southern state thing. But going, during summer, I definitely want cooled seats. Like that is a... You know, if there's an option for it, it's a must. Gimme. Yeah. Um, but during winter, like, we do get kind of cold. Like, it not freezing, but enough to be so like, oh, I, I do want to, you know, I do want a little bit of warmth. I do want a thing. Like, when we had a bit of rain last week, you know, it got a bit chilly. And so I was like, oh, that's the point where I would have really loved to have had heated seats in that situation. Um, and, uh, but the, the thing that, and I, and I, and this is why I sent you a message um, last week, Mick, asking, you know, did you drive it through rain at all? Because it's, it was probably comfort-wise, I think it did a great job. The um, like, you know, it was what it was. It, it, it wasn't a performance-orientated sedan, even though the quad exhaust at the back probably would suggest otherwise um but it does a great job on the highway like you can you can easily cruise along or just you know slowly putter around in the city but even though i'd probably opt for the hybrid version of the sl if you're going to be spending a lot of time in the city versus on the highway um yeah but i found that but i found that the um the tires that they're on there weren't really up to par they the the grip levels weren't amazing particularly in the rain i i found that um there was a there's a lot of power coming from from that engine that v6 which they've got in there but it lose traction way too easily for those through those front wheels um and then the road noise and the water noise coming through the wheel walls was just it felt like i was driving through like a couple of inches of water rather than just rain you know like a, a wet road um and yeah, I know what you mean. So, yeah. it, so it sounded a lot more dramatic than it really was, and um, like thankfully, you know, it, it's it doesn't rain. It's it's not the UK or anything where it rains every other day. Um, but it was just like, oh man, it it just feels like it was something that was maybe overlooked, and they you know they they kind of didn't prioritize or didn't really evaluate. Well, what is this performance in the rain um, for the tire and the you know and the sound insulation or, or what you know that set up within the wheel arch that influences that so it was probably the one thing that was probably well was the biggest letdown for me and i was and and that's something that you don't normally come across unless you know the weather is on your side um to let you experience that um well, so, what did you yeah, think about the car of, in general there like yeah did you find it comfortable you know yeah, it, was, it was comfortable like it was i really like the big sunroof in it um i like the stereo too having yeah, a cd player i know you the probably stereo, don't use yeah. one but <laughs> <laughs> that was that was kind of a funny thing to see it does have wireless car um wireless phone charging as well which is was a a thing 
um, that I wasn't expecting, but was kind of like surprised by. And even, you know, there is a storage area underneath that you can, even if you have a phone sitting on the wireless charger, you can push it in, get something out and then let the charger slide out again. Um, yep. It doesn't interrupt the charging, which I think is kind of like a, it's a little clever thing um, that, yeah, you might have your phone charging on there, but you might have to grab something from that storage cavity below and, um, you know, you don't want to have to pick up your phone or anything like that. But that fuel economy was fine. Um, it was around about 10 litres um, for about the five 600 kilometres that we did. So nothing spectacular, but nothing um, too terrible from an engine like that. Um, yeah, so it was like it's there's not much to complain about, but there's also nothing that really completely blew you away either. Um, so it's a bit of a, you know... It's okay. So, um, have you? I don't know if you've driven the the new Rav Four. Have you driven that? No, not yet. I have. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, what did you think between the Camry or the Rav Four? Because that's mm. the, you know, the bread and butter's gone from the Camry, which was their big seller. Yeah. Um, aside from the Corolla, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the Rav Four is their um, their dominant midsize um, offering, mm. even with the supply issues and maybe. They've got supply issues for a good reason, yeah. um, but the space and everything in the um, in the Rav Four is eminently more practical. Like it's big and square, and you can see where everything goes. You can see all mm. your corners. Um, feels like a little bit more space, but I didn't think it was quite as comfy as the Camry. So um, no, perhaps because you know, there's... the difference between being the the sedan and being a little bit longer wheelbase and stuff as well. Uh, for you, Mick, I think you probably find the Camry a lot more comfortable than than the Rav just because of the the size. But yeah, it's yeah. kind of like you know if you're going to take I mean, company cars are a little bit different today in terms of what they used to be. But the Camry is your your, your great choice for a, for a company car that you need to do like for you, for example, if you needed to be doing a, yep. a, with work. Those those K's up and down the highway every day. The hybrid version, you know, it's great on great on fuel, comfy to drive, does everything you want it to do. Um, and the look difference between the generation change to the current one is just unbelievably how good it looks. That new one yep. is just there's a lot of design borrowed from the um, like this design is very heavily influenced by the US model. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it I looks... I think the, the tune business. is too. I think the suspension tune is very much yeah. like that as well. It but is, I, yeah. I drove the Sportivo Orion, the last one they had. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible seats, foot-operated park brake, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but tuned like a sports car. It was yeah. very sporty. I mean, it still had the same issues with being front-wheel drive, and it had some skinny tyres on the front as well. I think they were yeah. two two fives, maybe, yeah, or even maybe two three five. No, they were so two, the two SL. Fives, right. So this SL has two three fives. Yeah. So the Orion, I think, were two two fives, maybe. Yeah. Well, they might have been two three fives. Either way, mm. it was too much for the front end to deal with um, putting steering input and throttle input at the same yeah. time. It was quite easy to sort mm. of get it to understeer. But mm. they tuned that last Orion. I think that was a. Um, a chassis designer's goodbye farewell gift to anybody who actually felt like driving a Camry or Orion in mm. a in a sporting slant. I had a lot mm-hmm. of fun in that car. I was kind of hoping that the SL Camry would be the same, but it's it's not a patch on it. It is like yeah. you say, it's a it's a good highway cruiser. Um, I still do like that V6. Mm-hmm. It's a great V6 because it's the same V6 yep. that's in the Kluger as well, isn't it? Um. 
I'm not, I'm not sure, sure if they're exactly the one. same because the I don't the think the Kluger is awesome. It's really yeah, cool. but I don't I don't think the Kluger takes premium, but the Camry does. It's 95. Okay, yeah. so that's a slightly and different. So here's a here's a funny thing. So this Camry is a Toyota V6, and so you would think in the back of your mind because I was surprised when I opened the fuel filler to to put some fuel in. I was like, ah, oh, it wants the good stuff. Okay, um, because I. <laughs> the tag on the Toyota Supra, which is a BMW engine, has a sticker going, it can take 91. Which, if you put those two together, you go, that doesn't make sense. I'd I'd expect that to be reversed. Um, yeah. Camry can take the cheap stuff because it's a Toyota V6. It's fine. It will it'll manage it. It can great. do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Supra, performance car... Developed with BMW, BMW engine. I would expect a 98. And you go, put the 98 in because, you know, that's how you get the most out of it. And I was like, oh, this is a bit surprising. Um, but, you know, it is it is what it is. I think a lot of these cameras are going into fleets rather than, um, you know, to to private buyers. Because mm. um, I think, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of private buyers are going for the, um, the RAV4. Hybrids or the RAV, yeah. Exactly. And even though, like... The the Rav, you know, you mentioned that it rides hard, harder, and and that'd be because you know they they they're meeting that brief of a sports utility vehicle. Um, oh no no sorry no the Rav the Rav doesn't ride harder the the Orion did. I found the oh, Rav right. was actually okay. a little bit. It I mean oh, it is okay. it is better discipline than the Camry when you go through mm. corners and you have to mm-hmm. do that to okay. counteract the high center of gravity and yep. the like. Yeah. Um, still a little bit soft. It's not it's not as sporting, but it does feel like a more modern tune than what the Camry does as far as mm-hmm. the suspension compliance goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really wanted a, a lot more out of the Camry because I really liked the look and I'd driven the hybrid before, which I, which I quite liked as well. But I was hoping they'd have something in there for, for me. Yeah. But no. Mm. So, um, Joel, just back on uh, the Kluger thing. So it's a three, they're both 3.5 litre V6s. Um, but the... Camry actually outputs a little bit more power at um, 224 kilowatts and 362 newton meters, where the Kluger is actually 218 and 350. Yeah, right. Um, okay. So maybe a slightly different tuned version. Yeah. So I think it, it very much could be. Yeah, it is. So it is a. It's the same engine code. I'm just looking at the specs at the moment. Same engine code, mm. just a different tune that's been yeah. applied. Different map, different map maybe as well. Yeah. Even though, you know, by rights, you'd probably expect the Kluger to have a bit more power um, because of the bigger mass and everything. But um, there you go. Yeah, interesting. All right. So uh, should we um, dive into some of this news? We've got a couple of things we'll, we'll probably just uh, jump through and... Um, yeah, have a have a quick comment about because but really dive in on some of the couple of these other um, news stories which I think are pretty exciting. Um, so the first one is uh, so it looks like Kia's uh, getting a little bit. Oh, they they call it getting mobile by getting online. Um, but Joel, maybe you want to run through this one. Yeah, so it's interesting. It came up during the week. Um, obviously, with the current situation, with a lot of stuff. Um, with COVID around the country, more and more people are trying to get uh, brands are trying to get people to engage with them online more and more. So 
it's basically designed to allow you to like pretty much go by going onto the website you can you know build an order online you can seal the deal with just a hundred dollar credit card deposit mm-hmm. um can't do trading val- valuations over the thing but it, it's got the ability just to for those that are you know they may have made that decision they want to buy a car um they know they want to buy a Kia, they know what model they want to buy, they can just go online and, and make it a little bit more simpler um, by by ordering online. So it's good to see that, you know, Kia have moved down that way. Obviously, Toyota, uh, Subaru uh, and, you know, Genesis, obviously, and a few others are, mm-hmm. are, are heading down this way um, and they're starting to want to do more uh, in this online purchasing thing you know i think if if you can um if, if it's making making it easy to do it you know i think it's, it's great mm. that, that more brands are supporting this form so is this um so what does the deposit get you is it do, do you get to look at the existing stock of what the dealers have and go oh i want that one and put it down or is it more of a like a, a gen- general it lo- um, the way it looks, on looks to be is that it's it's basically um, you know reading from Kia's release. It's developed a mm-hmm. simple yet comprehensive shopping tool that allows you to select, build, and order your new wheels without even leaving the keyboard. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's not for everyone. They says Damien Meredith, who's the CEO of Kia. Um, it's not for everyone. It's still late days, but there's been evidence that this is a service some people have been quick to embrace. So mm-hmm. you know, for those that want to do it, they know. Like I said, they they know they want to buy a Kia. They know which model they want to buy. Um, mm. You know, they can basically build the car, enter the details, select the dealership they want to buy from. Um, And I think it's probably, you know, for the upcoming Carnival um, and the new... um, Oh, mental blank. The new SUV that's coming. Palisade. The, no, no. Well, yeah. The, no, that's that's that's, Hoyt, that's yeah. Hyundai. Um, oh, but the uh, replacement. Um, you know, for those models where you know, you, you know that it's coming. You know, for a family that's so the probably, new Sorento. Yeah, the new Sorento. Ah, um, oh, yeah, that's right. And you know, if you've had one of those and you want to be able to update to the new one, and you know that it's coming, and you want to place an order, then this is the logical way. To mm. Do it. You know that you want so, you, you you know you want to upgrade to mm. you know you know that the new one is going to do what you need it to do. So mm. you want to basically be able to um, it says once you place your order and receive confirmation, the nominated dealer will be notified and be in touch to complete the sale mm. and run you through the final delivery mm. details. So I guess what's probably happening is that you you pick out the spec that you want. Most of the time, like it's not like a Porsche order where there's fifty thousand um, bits of customization, you know, and every car is you know one hundred percent unique but um but i assume you know you, you put the spec you know your ideal spec together it get, comes through the dealer chances are they'll probably have something that's pretty close or exactly on the money and they'll go great this is what you know this is what we've got for you um let's hammer out a price and trade in etc or it'll probably be one of those things where it's like look we don't have that exact thing in at the moment depending on your timeline you know you could jump into this one today um 
that that's probably you know if they're saying it's early days, it might even be just that. Um, yeah, they're, test, they're testing. They're testing the waters. Yeah. So they want to be able yeah. to see yeah. how it's going yeah. to work, how people are going to react yeah. to it. And as I said, yeah. with a couple of new models coming, um, yeah. it makes logical sense that yeah. they would look at you know offering this kind of option um, to be able to mm. um, to to look at you know that is that as being an ability for people that want to be able to order. Mm. So. Yeah, that's good. It's good. I just had a look then online, and do you know you can still order an Optima? Yeah, they still. I thought they were Gonski. No, I think they. they, I think they're going. I think they were talking. There's probably some stock still hanging around at the moment. Um, Yeah. You can, you can only pick a 2.4. You can't get the GT. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they simplified Mm. it. Uh, Well, I think it's a it's a good move. Sort of. Brings them up in line with a few other manufacturers, yeah. and um, I think it'll be some time before most. I think most people will, will end up on that that path anyway at some point. Um, but let's jump on to the next bit, and and this is continues on from what we talked about last week. I think Audi's on a bit of a roll at the moment um, with their RS models, and um, they're they're pumping out the uh, the range a little bit more with the RS Q. Eight. It's uh, bringing the same uh, 441 kilowatt, 800 newton meter, uh, four liter twin turbo TFSI V8 <laughs> engine, um, and it can be yours from uh, just uh, 208,500 plus on roads. That's a bargain <laughs> for what it is and what it does. I didn't realise. I I I kind of been watching the Audi stuff because I'm a big fan of their product and I love anything that has either RS or S in its name in the in the thing. I once did an Audi drive day back in um, when was it? Probably in sort of the early 2000s. Um, you know, we had when they had the big S8 stuff like that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. had been made famous from Ronan and and uh, and that. So. Um, yeah, I've been watching this, but I, 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 when this came out, I went back and had a look at a bit of research because it just jogged my memory. Audi have done, obviously, they've got you know the Q7 and then the SQ, the um, SQ7, and it's mm-hmm. like I didn't realise that Audi have done with this. They have the Q8, they have an SQ8, and then they've gone RSQ8. So you actually have two different sport versions of the Q8. Um, so that's really cool. Very nicely done, Audi. It's nice to see that they have such a... Uh, they've got such confidence in this this range. I mean, the um, RS and SQ series models are just absolutely brilliant to, and they sound absolutely amazing. The SQ7 was more probably my favourite uh, of their range, but I think now I think that it's going to be probably an RSQ8. So um, I keep mm. buying those Tesla tickets. I think this would be think, uh, um, be wanting to buy would be to stump up and buy an RSQ8. <laughs> I think uh, Audi must must know, you know um, last week, a few things or two of- from their Volkswagen Group because uh, they 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 really have a, a big suite of performance orientated uh, SUVs. Where it's uh, the Bentley Bentayga in the super luxury area, or even the, the Lamborghini Urus. Um, so I think it's you know they're using a little bit of knowledge that they they have from there and probably their sales figures to know that maybe the RS version of a Q8 can can fit in and coexist and uh, oh, yeah, snap definitely. up a little bit of that market. I think so, and it's and it's well priced. Yep. At two hundred grand, it's it's really.
really well priced for that market for what mm. it is. Mm. Um, and I think it'll probably eat him. It is a lot of cow. It, mm. it is a lot of car for the money, and you know, for that for that price point, it's the the four liter twin turbo. It's a V eight. Um, yeah, it's it's a cool um, sports SUV. Um, mm. You know, and now that yeah, we're sort of you know, I, yeah. of our, our, our fast wagons, uh, we kind of need to look at fast SUVs, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was. Um I kind of I kind of burst your bubble last week saying I didn't like the Durango. Was that what it was? Durango? <laughs> yep, the Durango Dodge. Hellcat. Yes, I te- yeah, yeah. Um, I actually looked at that a bit later. I still don't like it, so I don't think I haven't changed my mind. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it's I got not, excited for it's a moment. not <laughs> Cherokee size. It's not Grand Cherokee size. It's like it's QE two size. It's massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's big. Like, it's, a, it's like yeah. the Grand Cherokee with an extra with a third row. It's bloody huge. Yeah. <laughs> um still don't like it, but I do <laughs> like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I was under the false assumption that I was hoping people were going to get tired of um, SUVs because they're kind of dowdy and not sexy and boring and stuff. So eventually, someone's going to go, "Hey, I want to be sporty. I'm going to go and buy a, um, you know, a fancy V8 wagon or something, or you mm-hmm. know, even the mm-hmm. RSX Avantis or something." Yeah. But no, they've just made SUVs sexier and faster. So it's the perfect daily. If you've got, you know, if you've got a Porsche or Ferrari no. or any, any any kind of exotic that you that you is your weekender or when it's nice weather, whenever you want to take for a cruise, that's that's your weekender or your your non daily. This is the mm. perfect sleeper daily. Well, I did actually see. I was at Lakeside uh, a couple of years ago, and a guy had a Porsche Cayenne that he um, used to tow his. Uh, I think he had an Evo X or something. Yeah. Um, mm. And he's put he, he put he, he's put his son-in-law in the Evo X to go um, bash around Lakeside and have a few goes at, and then he was going to have a go. And his son-in-law ended up cooking the brakes or the clutch or something, and basically destroyed it. So he just took his Cayenne on for. For a couple of laps instead, so <laughs> yeah. you know, it just goes to show you the capability of proper performance SUVs. Um, yeah. You know, it's not something to be sneezed at. They don't, they don't get the credit, I think, um, for the amazing engineering and uh, problem-solving skills that goes into making these really big and heavy vehicles um, handle the way they do. Um, yeah, the correct so term uh, is electricery. That's what I call it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's locus. Uh, let's locus. That's not a word. Well, not a real word. Well, you find um, your words quickly, uh, Ash. I'll just give you an update. I've been watching the Porsche Super Cup um, mm-hmm. from uh, Austria, and uh, the two. We'll, we'll call him almost an Aussie, but uh, Jackson Evans has finished fifth, um, and Jordan Love's finished thirteenth. So. Um, um, good to see the Aussie slash Kiwis doing well um, over there in, in Super Cups this weekend. Mm. Excellent. Well, okay. I think I've had my words. Um, so Ford have invested in a big logistics hub um, to really highlight their uh, their commitment to customer service. Um, so they're putting it in the Merrifield Business Park in Mickleham. Uh, Mickleham. Um, so it's basically a big, big area for yeah, parts distribution. <laughs> it's it's funny, like, you know... Northern Summit, I mean, it's, it's just it's, above it's, Broadmeadows. 
and it's like you said, you know, they're, um, you know, they're investing to, to demonstrate that they're committed to the market and all that sort of thing, which is mm. all well and good. And obviously, uh, and I mean, they talk about growth in this as well. But I thought one of the other interesting points um, they talk about there is changing needs such as requirements related to electrified vehicles. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, you know, they're gearing up to be able to have a lot more EVs. I mean, what are the EVs that Ford offers at the moment? Mark A, that's the... That was a dramatic yeah, pause. There's none. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but... Not here. Yeah, so, no. um, the... So, so the Mac E, for example, and whatever else things they're going to bring out, I assume there's going to be an E focus at some point. And uh, oh, the mm. new uh, Escape. No, they've got a hybrid version. I assume they'll have. A yeah, so the Escape version of that hybrid well. is there. So they've got they've got first hybrid fu- fusion right. hybrids, uh, Escape hybrids. Um, yeah, so they've got a variety of Escape in plug-in hybrid as well as um, normal hybrid, and then obviously fusion, yep. which which has been obviously Monteo for, for us and then obviously the, the, the marquee as well um, so yeah obviously yeah. you know the, the logical it's just it's good to yeah it's just good to see that they're um, well it's just they're making a statement as a roundabout kind of <laughs> side part to the story I mean they're building a big shed mm. which is fantastic because I am a logistics nerd and I understand the importance of having the right facilities and all that sort of thing and being able mm. to reduce the downtime for parts transiting from one place to another and all that sort of thing which is obviously going to be realised by this development but it's good to see too they're preparing to have more EVs which really we need a lot more EVs at the moment there's there's not enough of a presence in the market for it to be serious but maybe you know i mean it's um obviously they are aware of some other developments that are going to occur or they're trying to push the agenda at least to get more um ev infrastructure Mm. and they're looking to to be able to satisfy that demand before it happens which is good yeah and 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 i think this is a really big um flag because normally most companies don't um make a big deal about opening as you put it a new shed um, that's just what happens in the back end of how the business works and um, what's needed <laughs> yep. as it grows. Um, but I think it, it really does give a really good insight into just what their future pathway is, whether it's, you know, this is just a political statement or even, you know, tongue-in-cheek tongue in cheek jab at, you know, at GM of going, look, we're actually forward planning um, and, and we've got a roadmap for the Australian market versus, um, you know, a little bit of short-sightedness um, from from that other brand um, recently, so yeah, I think it's I think it's good. It's um, so the site's going to be pretty massive, eighty seven thousand uh, six hundred ninety one square meters. Um, Fifty thousand of that is going to be the purpose built distribution. Um, so I think that's uh, and they, you know obviously it's going to be five star green energy, which is you know these days expected, um, but. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's good, exciting. Um, it's going to add some jobs into that area, which is um, which is positive, particularly at this time at the moment. I think uh, yeah, it's uh, good to see. But it's yeah, it's a fifth location for Ford, um, which uh, I think is also uh, shows just how large of a presence Ford has, um, and obviously that future growth they expect. 
Yeah, the company's doing is doing well in Oz, obviously, with their, their range of models. I'm just still hoping and praying that we get a couple more of the uh, American F-150. SUVs. Well, F-150, yeah, we're all <laughs> saying we'd like to see that coming, especially the new one with the summer specs and stuff that that mm, thing's got yeah. in it. But, look, I'd really love to see, you know, an Explorer come here. Um you know, I'd love to see it, it come back to Australian shores. We had it, you know, many years ago in a previous mm-hmm. generation. But, um, you know, I'd also love to see the Mach-E come here and... Um in terms of what you know, what that is for for what it, you know uniqueness about it again, sports SUV, but you know mm-hmm. um, electric, uh, yeah. But the way that Ford is supporting the Australia, Australia and, and even though we're not making cars here anymore, they're you know they're doing well with what they they have. I mean, the Ranger sells well. The Everest is another great product. Um, I actually do need to try and get hold of. I need to drive the Everest with that. Uh, I've driven it with the three point six liter, but I'd love to drive it with the two point two by turbo. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's good to see them supporting it, building this, um, you know, this new facility. And, and like you say, Ash, obviously going to allow for a lot more jobs, um, even mm-hmm. building the thing. You know, the construction company is even busy building that, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, going from a new building to a new look, D-Max, Ash. Yeah, so it's... Uh they're calling it an all-new Isuzu D-Max. Um, so they're going to be revealing the Aussie spec on the 13th of August um, via, obviously, uh, at the moment, an online public launch. Um, but they've released a couple of teaser images, and um, from afar, it actually looks a little bit like a um, Ford Ranger, which I guess is probably not, you know... Not lost, given that the uh, the new Ford Ranger is going to be built off this same platform. Um, we we talked about it. We weren't too sure um, when we were talking about the new Ranger, uh, just of how because um, they did mention that they're building off the Steamax platform. But we you know we were a little bit confused as to oh, are they using an old one or there is a new one coming? Well, obviously it's going to be a a new one. Um, they say that this new generation is going to have a one-ton um, load capacity, premium levels of refinement technology, and practical enhancements, um, but retain the repu- reputed durability and ruggedness that has cemented the D-Max as one of Australia's top-selling utes. So, look, I think we've spoken about it a lot before about the Isuzu brand in general. Um, you know, they've... they've really done a great job being a little bit more of a commercial orientated business um reliability cost of servicing all those things are really um well done and managed and obviously coming coming through with a little bit more hopefully a little bit more of a car-like um handling and uh levels of comfort on the inside i think uh really should bring this D-Max into a little bit even more mainstream um, than I think it probably got a little bit lost with the the Colorado and and just the noise there is within um, the segment. What do you guys think? Are they going to be interesting to see what happens? I'm keen to see what happens with MUX and whether or not Mm. we get an updated version of that in the not-too-distant future as well. Um, But Asuzi's really, really quite um, got a good presence here in Oz. I mean, their iVenture club, which is their off-road club, is really, really quite strong. And and some of the cool content I've seen come out of that with some of their drives and stuff like that. So they have quite a big fan base. Um, So I think, uh, again, for Suzu dealers, 
dealers. I think they, you know, it's being revealed on the 13th of August, but it'll be in dealers the 1st of September. Uh, mm. I'll be interested to see, you know, September sales results, how many of them they're actually sell. There could be quite a few people who um, want a second-hand um, previous-gen D-Max. You might find quite a few in dealers. I think a few people will be trading their current one in mm. to, to the, go for the Because the D-Max one. has been around for a little while now. Um, 2008, uh, eight, I think. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, so it is... 12 years old, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, look, its its sales figures have remained pretty solid throughout that time. It's only had a few minor um, updates here and there. Um, so, yeah, I think this yeah. should be a fairly big really leap forward. So the last update, the, they did end up getting, I think, a little bit more power, but they updated mm. the gearbox to a six-speed because they previously had a five. Um, but uh, I think they'll do really well out of this because, like like you say, you know, most of the updates have been fairly minor. So mm. anybody that's had one hasn't had a great deal of impetus for them to actually upgrade to the to the last generation. Mm. Um, so maybe they've held on to them for a little while, just waiting for this one. And I think they've made the right amount of noise to about this next generation. Mm. They've been able to build a little bit of uh, momentum with it. I do see it quite often in, um, online popping up. People are talking about it. So I, I think they should do fairly well. Um, and I, I, I don't think they've had... Um, any real reliability issues or anything like I think I've talked about that previously where um, if you want someone to build you a truck talk to someone who builds trucks and Isuzu have been building commercial trucks for decades um, and their Mm. engines I think their brain history um, I think in their little about us goes back about a hundred years so they've been doing it for a long time Yeah. Yep. So look, but yeah, same, same and, and as. And uh, I expect it to be priced pretty well. I'm pretty keen to see the. Yeah, I'm just keen to see the MUX too. Mm. And if it and if it's like you know, we can see obviously there's a big change coming with the D Max, and it's going to be a bit of a, 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 a certainly an upgrade. I reckon watch out in that market space for MUX. If they upgrade the MUX, I think it could really shake up that SUV market because the MUX has been good, but it's getting a little bit long in the tooth, and it needs, it needs an update to to obviously mm. compete with what else is out there. But watch out. Mm. I reckon it could be interesting to watch that market. Uh, particularly with the lack of international travel and obviously it, it has a pretty solid um, towing capacity already. So if you've got a lot more people focused on, um, you know, heading out bush yeah, or anything travel. like that, as well as with yep. the, um, you know, they'll, they'll be able to catch on to just the end of the um, the the tax write-off as well, the asset write-off um, that ends at the end of the year as well. Yeah, so yeah, hopefully they true. get some models in. Um you know, and, and the stock available to really help customers take advantage of that from a business perspective as well because that would be a nice little boost and a good way to, to really put the uh, the new model out on the road and, and, and be visible from that point of view. Yeah, exactly. I think it'll do mm. yeah, too well for yeah. the market. <laughs> yeah. My in-laws just come back from uh, oh, one of their little outback Queensland joints, a nice little 3,000k round trip. Um, and one of the friends oh, of the family has got an MUX. And it, mm-hmm. oh, just a friend of the family had a, an MUX. They've just finished doing a 3,000-kilometre round trip around outback Queensland, towing an off-road camper, and they've done some pretty good off-road tracks, and he was pretty happy with how the MUX performed. Really right, good cool. piece of gear. Mm. 
Well, uh, let's let's move into this one. So this one, I think, um, if you've been paying attention to the pricing of um, a few of the BMW models, you might meet this uh, latest announcement with a little bit of, uh, I don't know, skepticism. So BMW have launched... Um, two new Pure models, the M135 xDrive Pure and the M235 xDrive Pure as well. And um, if you're not familiar with what Pure means, basically you strip out some of the nicer fe- um, of nicer cosmetic features or comfort features such as uh, Dakota leather and um, uh, was it the adaptive LED headlights, basically, you know, in in their terms, making a a pure driving experience. Um, And usually what comes with this is basically a a nice little discount because you're obviously not opting for those expensive features. However, if if you rewind your mind a little bit to a few weeks ago, we were just talking about how BMW had increased the price of the M135 and the M235i by... I think the M135 started off about $5,000 cheaper than it did launch just last year. Um, And same with the M235, it it had a few thousand dollar jump as well. And um, conveniently, (laughs) these pure models come in at about $5,000 less than their you know their full full-blooded um model so it's price yeah so it's uh so they they you know it's 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 great if you're not after those extra features and you're buying today obviously there's not you can't rewind time and go back to when you know the the full model was more you know was cheaper um so you really can't look at the previous price but at the same time if you're aware of the fact and you've and you've seen those price increases, um, you have to go. Oh, that's a, it's just a little bit too um, convenient. Uh, those price increases um, to to allow these pure models to slot in where they are, um, but obviously to to have like uh, the 220i slot in at that middle spot still, um, without sort of you know encroaching on uh, pricing around it. So. Uh, it's uh, it's great if you just want a, a little bit more of a focusing. So if you go from a pure, what you miss out on the pure versus the four models is um, they listed out it being the panoramic glass sunroof, the adaptive LED highlight, uh, headlights with the high beam assistant, the the leather upholstery, and the Harman Kardon surround sound system. Um, so if you if you're not too interested in those, maybe the pure is the the one for you, um, and it adds to you their. Still sort of- do get the. Uh- the twin power turbo 225 kilowatt and 450 mm. newton meter yeah. uh four so cylinder the performance of it transmission so doesn't change at all so nothing about the performance or the handling or anything like that changes it's just a few of those nice things um i personally kind of prefer uh the standard um cloth combination seats they have um in their current sort of interior spec i think it's really nice um the leather obviously you know it's leather they do a really nice leather seat um but it's you know i'd I'd actually prefer the cloth seats they're really great um i'd kind of miss the surround sound system it is a great sound system um in there and um you know the adaptive led headlights is really one of those things where if you do a lot of driving at night 
it is a, a crucial thing. Like if you're going through like even like a little, um, let, let's say Mount Nebo, um, a really great mountain road um, up here in Brisbane, those adaptive headlights can can make the difference between hitting, hitting a possum or, you know, be able to, to break or avoid it altogether. Um, so it's just, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just another option um, to allow them to, to have that sharper price point. Um, so yeah. It is what it is. I think it's a it's a good option. It, it does round out the rest of the um like the M Pure lineup. So from the the one series through the M three forty M five fifty five uh, five fifty I uh, the X two X five and X six um, M Pure models as well. So they've kind of got the whole whole range. And then obviously if you go to the full on M models, they uh, they have the pure options in there as well. Um, but yeah, so that's that one. Um, good offering, but yeah, if you've if you've kept an eye on the uh, the pricing, it might you might not be as as excited <laughs> um, by seeing that. But let's get onto something that is a a bit more interesting, maybe not practical at this point, um, but certainly interesting nonetheless. Um, so Nissan Leaf um, is now. You know, technically, it's going to be the the first, the industry first um, for a vehicle to grid charging tech. Um, so it's basically, uh, in a way, maybe you can explain it. Uh, what do you guys can better explain it? But basically, taking power from the leaf and putting it back into the grid. Is that right? Yeah, am correct. I, am I it's, it right? it's designed basically. It's one of the first to have bidirectional charging capability, mm-hmm. which enables you to. Um, Literally allow for the energy that's stored in the batteries in the leaf to be to be to be reversed back into the grid, um, so that you can actually have it to run a home or a commercial site, or feed back power to the grid like you would with a solar power system. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to you know at the moment with you know things the way it is in the world and, and stuff like that. In anything where you can save on power bills is uh, is a good thing. So having that ability. Um, you know, you don't have to have a solar system. If you've got a leaf and you've charged it up, and all of a sudden you're not driving as much, um, you can help, you know, put power from it back into back into the grid or back mm. in to help power your home. So I guess this might come in really handy because obviously <laughs> one way to definitely reduce your battery, uh, your your power bill, you, you'd, you'd charge up the, the leaf at a free charger, drive it home, plug it in, run your house, and then keep running back and forth. Um, but <laughs> it'd be a lot of effort to save a little That's bit of money. A, yeah. But probably the way that... Especially um, with the... Uh- the feed-in charges you're, um, mm. you know, you're earning sort of eight cents a kilowatt hour. So yeah. it's but the way that I can probably see is really coming to outside of the the trial which they're running for this um, is probably I would imagine in emergency situations and places where power has been completely cut off and they still you know you can it allows you to almost like a a, a backup power supply battery power supply for you know a computer or anything yep. like that where you can run core essential things for a short amount of time um, to keep it going until power comes back or or what um, that's that's what I probably see as the most practical way of doing it and particularly in Australia yeah, we're not like, adverse to, to you know those sorts of emergency situations um, 
Yeah, they did. They did talk about this um, this type of technology at the start of the year when everything was on fire. Um, <clears throat> obviously, when you're in that sort of area, when you're in that kind of danger zone, and you've lost power, communications is a very important. Um, part of your situational awareness, you know, to be able to decide whether you need to stay or when you need to leave, uh, things like that. So having the opportunity to be able to power that and even um, powering things like if you have a, um, a medical need, you can mm-hmm. um, power that sort of equipment off it. So it's still a, still a very handy um, capability, not necessarily practical in normal day-to-day life at the moment, but when you need stuff, you know, it's, it's good to have that option there. So so it's, it's an interesting technology. Obviously, it'll become more practical as, um, you know, the capacity of the leaf grows and um, and battery technology sort of grows up as well. And you can even look at, um, you know, they talk about home battery systems um, where you try and charge your battery at night when you're in the off-peak and you've got a lower tariff, for example. And, you know, you can extend your ability to not have to draw on power in the high cost peak um, mm. times by relying on the power from the leaf for example and that might get you across the line so you can get into the lower um, the lower tariff period so you know it's it's only an incremental um, development and like they say it's a it's a trial at the moment um, but it's it's something of the future so I think it's a pretty important development mm. Yeah, it's definitely it's in that it's those first steps before we actually get to something um, that truly I think is it changes how um, you know the impact of, of it because you know if if you think of it from just a pure consumer point of view um, the hard thing will be it's another thing for somebody to to manage um, if I don't need to go out today yep. yep use the the power from the car and and charge it up overnight and that's fine but then if you have to make a last minute trip out and, and all of a sudden you've been running power off the the car and and you don't have enough charge to get anywhere you know that's a low, lot of management yeah. you know and so obviously at this instance the very early instance it's it's all about getting the technology right and and, and getting into some trial situations to you know to to, to work out that technology work out the use cases as well um not only from a from a government point of view but from a consumer point of view um but yeah obviously as we get closer and further down you know down the road um this is where you could see you know that this lens uh you know good opportunities to yeah, it's gonna be handy in how future. we use energy mm-hmm. um yep. so let's look at something that isn't about uh, saving the world, uh, but making your life a little bit more exciting. <laughs> um, so yeah. know, they have revealed a rendering, so nothing too much, um, but just a rendering of what their i30 sedan can look like in the the N line. Um, so not the i30N, but N line, which sort of sits below sporty, you know, sportier version of yeah, the, the old uh, SR. I, I really um, like this. I, I like the look of the i30N. Uh, sorry, the i30 sedan that's coming mm. out. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen too much of it. I, I subscribe to a guy called um, Asian Petrolhead on YouTube. Uh, he covers a lot of the stuff from from Korea, specifically. Um, well, he does a lot of Hyundai stuff. He's um, does a lot of walk rounds for the um, mm-hmm. Genesis releases and all that sort of thing. Um, and I really I like the way that the uh, i30 sedan has has shaped up. It's um, 
who was I talking to today about things being a little bit boring so a lot of car design these days is trying to be a little bit too same same to try and broaden their appeal rather than taking some risks and doing something adventurous and the i30 sedan is definitely adventurous um and the inline you know takes it a little bit further i think joel did you share with me on twitter last week the the race car version was it you no it wasn't, oh, no, so no, the, wasn't me but I've seen yeah, the i30 sedan race car too. It looks pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Seeing seeing the sedan in the N line, I'm just looking at the those. I love the design of it, and it just makes me go, ah, oh, this is what the N line looks like. I'd love to see an i30 sedan, like an i30 N sedan, um, with you know all the bells and whistles on it because it looks pretty sharp. I it's it's a nice step up, um, even does. though it's just mainly cosmetic um it really does look the business and um you know almost looks a little bit audi like from the front do you think a little bit audi like with that front bonnet and yeah maybe a little bit but when when you see it um in real life like when Mm. you see the actual sedan itself in real life it's um it it doesn't really look very audi it looks kind of um, it looks quite long. Mm. They just, I don't know. It's yeah, just, I think I, the standard affair looks a bit different. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, with those end bits, it certainly just draws your eye in a certain way um, that the, the, the standard one doesn't. Um, yeah, and you can know. even see um, BMW. How... If people thought BMW had a big front grille on that new 4 Series. Geez, the, uh, the, the i30 <laughs> give it a run for its Yeah, money. but it's, it's nicely done proportion with the with those wings that are coming in from underneath the headlights. It's 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 nicely done. It's um, mm. yeah, quite, yep. quite nice. I think I like the um, I like the language. So the design language. I've seen a few spy photos and things of the of the Tucson, and it's kind of similar. Similar to it's got like really like faceted uh, edges and a lot of straight lines and triangular type yeah. shapes on it. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty excited about the new um, Hyundai design direction. I think it's going to be it's going to look pretty sharp and very distinctive. It's going to have its own own identity rather than um, them just trying to fit in with everybody else and be part of the market. I think they're going to make their own yeah. little own little mark. I like it. Mm. Well, it's. Uh... Uh, we'll, we'll see when when do we think this will uh, will arrive um, I think the new i30 and in general second half so sometime this year I believe it is I think from memory I, I believe it's yeah I think the i30 sedan supposed to be this year yeah yeah. As yeah. long as, long as it doesn't get pushed back I guess with the, the changing situations that we have at the moment but um, but stay tuned obviously <laughs> we'll uh, we'll let you know when it when it makes its way, um, and uh, then we'll hopefully yeah. have a review not too long after that. I'll be putting my hands up very quickly. Because <laughs> I mean, did did you drive the uh, the Elantra Sport uh, at all? No, I missed it's, that. Yeah, it, it's um, unfortunately it was one of those cars. The design is a transitional design so they tried to get a few of the elements that you see in this mm. new version and put it on the older version and it was yeah it was a bit of a mixed bag the back end didn't look quite right um 
I really liked the front end, which was quite sharp, kind of like this one, mm. um, with a lot mm. of thin lines and things on it. And I actually quite liked it, um, but most of the people that I talked to while I had it weren't um, particularly enamoured with it. But it, it was quite mm. a good vehicle. Like, it's it's the commuter size. Um, it's got the 1.6 turbo in it with the DCT mm. transmission, which performed really well. And it did everything well, and you could, you know, lean on it and get a little bit more excitement out of it if you wanted to. But it just... It, for me, it really sat in that right spec between a proper fast sports car and a commuter car. It was right in the middle in that little sweet spot that I like. Would have been Do you nice think the, uh, <laughs> the, the name change from the Elantra to the i30 sedan, given how dramatically different the whole design language for this car is, um, going to be a little bit confusing for people? Will people think that the, well, the i30 hatch and the i30N fastback and everything is going to be you know um changing are are people going to expect a new model because of you know this is obviously quite a bit different yeah in most cases i would would tend to agree with you but i don't think the elantra had such a a devout following that anyone's really gonna um Mm. be too upset about the loss of the name itself um but what this will allow uh hyundai to do is to count the sales uh, in the i30 brand so I can show how it's competing against, uh, well, I won't say Corolla because nobody's competing against Corolla, um, but but against the rest of the um, the segment, you know, you'll see that they're mm-hmm. actually right up there. They're, they are actually doing quite well. Um, yeah. And I think, so the i30 hatch is also getting a facelift. I've seen a few photos of it. It's not quite as aggressive as what this is, so there will still mm-hmm. be a, um, a bit of a distinct difference between the two of them but um you know they're putting them in the same bucket now so perhaps the the hatchback when it gets its um its next uh model come out it'll then start falling into line with the design language Mm. uh, on the sedan and on the tucson as well so they'll all get there eventually i guess you can't really just get one thing and chop it off and um and restart all at once they've still got to follow their design cycles for their for their different models so they'll get there Mm. um i felt i felt the same way about the corolla like obviously now the Corolla sedan looks like the Corolla hatch, even though the, for mm-hmm. some reason the um, the spec levels don't line up, the equipment levels don't line up between yeah. SX to SX. Um, but yeah, that previous generation, um, the Corolla sedan didn't really look anything like the hatchback at all. Um, so yeah, so you know, the i30 sedan inline makes do the best they can to try and align stuff. Twenty twenty. Mm. Woo. Okay, well, there you go. Well, looking so forward to it. Now. I can't wait to, to get behind. Uh, hopefully, as the spec gets, because um, obviously the images even of the i30 sedan, not the N-line version, have um, been around, obviously, in the Elantra form for, for the US. Um, and they show some really interesting, so full-on digital display with an extra display on the, um, on the side as well. 
Um, so you'll have like three yep. digital displays across the, the front. Um, so I, I suspect that those things will probably be more of a standard affair in the higher models um, compared to just a fully optional version in the US. So we tend to get pretty well-specced vehicles here across all brands um, compared to the US counterparts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I expect uh, these cars, when they land, will be yeah fairly, fairly full in terms of offerings. Well-loaded, yeah. All right, well, talking about well-loaded, um, the Audi Q4 Sportback e-tron concept. Now, that's a that's a long name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this is their, their concept car. They've um, revealed it. We expect it, you know, to be launched uh, in, in 2021 sometime. So it's their seventh electric vehicle from Audi. Um, we're still waiting for our first one to officially launch here in Australia. Um as a full-on production model, not just as a tacked-on limited release as we've had in the past for some models. Um, so versatile technologies to for efficiency that should see range about 500Ks, which I think is probably expected from a premium EV these days. Um, I'm liking the look of it. It's obviously going to have plenty of, uh, plenty of tech yeah. and plenty of performance, um, but it... It does look like a concept car, doesn't it? I like the way the Audi's going with this new SUV coupe sportsback style thing for their SUVs. You know, they're, mm. they're looking really cool. That you know, the new Q3 um, with that sort of sportsback look is really, really nice. And then obviously the new um, RS Q3 as well. That the look of that is really cool. So yeah, Audi's really trying to you know move that sort of sports back or you know that coupe look into more of its range and yeah this thing looks fantastic and um yeah it's launching next year so yeah excited to uh, hopefully see it when it hits down down under all i can think of though is just um any of these brands that are building these fastback spot bat models is um that uh they just don't like taller passengers in the rear. Um, most of these vehicles that I've I've sat in, and um, it's not just Audi um, that are you know BMW and, and a few others um, like the M235i. If you're over six foot, don't don't expect to have a really comfortable um, time in the back of any of these uh, these uh, coupe uh, four door vehicles. But really exciting for the technology that that sits underneath it. Yeah, no, it's it's good it's good to see that they're uh, they're expanding that range and particularly around this mm. Neutron brand and uh, and that we're going to see more of them uh, coming down under. But mm-hmm. uh, going from one member of the family to the other, talking about um, V Dub. Uh, and their Amarox, the V6, has uh, been doing well. Ninety uh, percent of them that sold in Australia last month were the V6. Mm. Um, so they're uh, they're doing well. Obviously, the um, the tax write off has probably helped a lot for for that in terms of sales. But um, yeah, June was the third biggest result for Amarok in Oz since it uh, since it was since it launched. So. Yeah, I mean, tree behind the wheel of one of these, a V6 in a in a Ute, I think it'd be um, it'd be pretty cool. I haven't driven an Amarok. Uh, I think I'd be keen to, to to see what it's like, but particularly this um, this V6 one. Um, I'm hearing good things and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's good to see that they're uh, they're doing well. 
Yeah, and I think uh, yep. we, we shouldn't really be that all surprised about the sales records for particularly commercial vehicles like the the Amarok um, in June because of that that tax write off, that incentive. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think it's telling that, um, and, and perhaps could we say I don't know I don't know if it's to say concerning, but it's um it's, there's not really many other options in terms of the you know you could drop down to the four cylinder, but you know we're we're the biggest market for V sixes in the world um, for the Amarok, um, so it's uh, we definitely love the, yeah, the bigger, that, more powerful. I still think that the two liter so. <laughs> I mean, I, I think just the idea of having a two-liter turbo pulling a heavy weight. Um, I mean, they're capable. I, I know they're capable. A friend of mine's got one. Um, he uses to pull his um, his trailer full of motorbikes and all that sort of stuff. He's he's he, in fact, he really loves it. Um, but I think a lot of people are just automatically apprehensive about having a small mm. capacity mm. engine doing high capacity loads so of course the yeah. v6 is is going to be popular i think it's a um it's a bit of a lot. so if anyone has got uh, a larger engine they should bring them to australia mm. Mm. especially and it could be even one yep. of those uh situations where people go oh won't really be doing that type of work but just in case kind of like the reason why people buy suvs in general is i go they just like the idea of that it can do the job if they really need to even if you know yeah they won't be towing a, a three-ton um boat or caravan or anything behind it um it's just the idea of oh, I, i'm buying it you i want it to be tough um you know so that's why 90 percent of the the amrocks sold were those uh v6s but um but yeah look i think it's uh yeah i can't remember the last <laughs> that's time that's actually a was. nice oh, go on. i was gonna say it's a nice nice segue into our next uh our next article about people <laughs> yeah. uh not necessarily needing suv capability hello suv corolla uh what, what do you guys reckon suv corolla needed or cool. is it really just uh uh yeah I, I'm keen I really to see like the CHR. Do you reckon the do you reckon the CHRs too too polarizing? Oh, I think it's there's still a market for the the CHR. I think it's it's unique in what it is, um, in its design and style. But the fact that the Corolla has done so well, the logical sense, it's kind of like, you know, it's that old sales thing. You you want to have an option if someone wants to ask, oh, I want to buy something, but it, it I need it in this this version. Having another version of a Corolla. Um, I'm disappointed we don't have the wagon, but we, I'm very excited to see what this the Corolla Cross is going to be like. Uh, but yeah, it's it's another option if you like the Corolla, you want maybe you know that excellent saying excellent luggage space. So obviously the boot space is obviously going to be bigger. Um, you know that little bit higher off the ground. Um, people are liking that ability now, particularly you know um, maybe in more regional areas and things like that. They want that little bit of ground clearance? Um, I think it's great. Do you, know? do you think the Corolla name though really is a little bit? Do you think that the affinity with the the name Corolla for for such a long time is really going to work with a with an SUV though? From a from a marketing perspective, you, when you say Corolla, you don't think of. Uh, uh, a vehicle that sits higher and you know is a bit more, um, I don't know, like you know fitting yeah, into I that don't, SUV I, type of thing. I, I, Do you I think that's going to hamper that a little bit? Got, 
you know what I think about when I think about old Corollas and you know the heritage of Corollas mm. is that they're basically indestructible. Yeah. You know, they, they run forever. And if you, you know, I, I think perhaps the Corolla name lends itself to a bit of durability, which um, other things don't. Like the CX3, for example, was a brand new a brand new product, a brand new nameplate. Mm. They had nothing to leverage off. Well, I reckon this is a, this is probably a valid leverage off a, off a, off a different brand to to release a different type of vehicle. It's, it's not mm. bad. I mean, you you see, even the Focus has got the the active version, yeah, which is essentially the SUV version. It's it's really just a lifted hatch. Um, yeah, I, I reckon this could work. Well, it's Toyota, so it's going to work. Yeah, now it's going to work. I think I think the difference though with the Focus active. Is- is that the um, it is a it's a like like what you said it's a lifted focus where and and it does have a few key differences from a, a drivetrain point of view, but the Corolla Cross like so the Corolla Cross does use the same platform as the hatch and sedan. So you, you go okay cool, the it's a Corolla platform, so we'll use the the Corolla branding on this because it's a Corolla but from the photos it doesn't share a lot of that design language yeah I was just thinking it doesn't look anything like the current Corolla hatch no. or sedan so when you see that you're not going to think it, oh that's a Corolla it's very lifted. US based yeah it is absolutely. it looks a little bit it looks a little bit like a small RAV4 well and that and from that point if if that's if because the Rav Four has kind of changed from when it was first introduced. The Rav Four, you go um, sporty thing, four wheel drive, you know that kind of thing. So because this is a smaller following, kind of like that that you know, and and they do talk about a lot. Like I think they mention Rav Four as many times as they do Corolla in that first half of that press release. And even they mentioned it again at the bottom. So they're really leaning into the RAV4 side of things more than the Corolla side. So should it have been called maybe a RAV2 or RAV3 to go and and create that link? No, I think it's better sticking with the Corolla. Okay. Because it kind of goes against, uh, you know, a lot of what other... And, you know, they're leveraging, you know, the Corolla Rally Crusade is just completely dominant in its space. Um, But a lot of other car makers have gone and used, okay, we've got our passenger car line and then we've got our... um, then we've got our, our SUV line. So with Mazda, it's, you know, CX-3, CX-5, CX-9, um, BMW X1, 2, 3, 4, 5, um, and even Mercedes in their way, they've got their own naming convention for those. Um, yeah, I, look, because, you know, marketing is, is just as important for these vehicles as it is, um, you know, whether the car's actually any good or not. Um, so it'd be interesting. I'll, I'll be curious to see how that Corolla name really, you know, either drives those sales because of that, you know, on paper people see that or if the design will confuse people and go, oh, hang on, is that really the Corolla? Um, well, it's the simplest yeah, way reckon, to look at it. It's it'll a be Corolla Cross. You know, mm. that's the thing. Yeah, it's a yeah, Corolla true. Cross. It's it's an SUV. I, I, the I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are going to go from a Corolla to a Corolla Cross, and be mm. part of the SUV cult. It's just going to be, it's just going to suck them in. I think. Mm. It's okay. another it's another vehicle for fleet. Corollas do well on fleet, um, yeah. and I think the same thing with this. Again, talking about that, you know, 
um, you know, the in the corporate ones where anywhere you're at, in, particularly it's like regional Victoria and things like that, it's the perfect vehicle again with that little bit of ground clearance and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's it's that perfect vehicle for for that lost little lifestyle. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. Subaru XV. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's basically you know Toyota's version of that. Um, yeah. In terms of what it is, it you know like saying it is a it is a a, a, a version of a, a Rav Four. It's a very sort of American styled front um, with some of that design language. But yeah, I think it'll be um, it'll be very interesting to see um, uh, how it does. But it's two years before it gets here, so it's not till twenty two. Yeah, it's going to be a little while. And it's and it will be available. You know, it's it's obvious, but you know, in, in a petrol and a petrol electric hybrid. Um, so I expect out of those two, depending on how aggressive the pricing is, that the hybrid will be just like a lot of the other models at the moment within the Toyota range. That the hybrid will be the main seller um, out of that range. Yeah, it'll be quite. quite uh, I think it'll be popular. I think again, like the. Like you said, the hybrid's popular in four, and I think it will be in this because it's a no-brainer really to mm-hmm. to go for that hybrid option. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the next last bit of local news um, is a is a feel good story. It's um, so Volkswagen have uh, donated a million dollars uh, for the reforestation in Australia. So following the the bushfires at the beginning of the year, it, it was just at the beginning of the year. It feels like a lot longer ago um, with everything else that's happened. But it's nice to see that Volkswagen hasn't completely um, you know forgotten about it and you know they're still putting some focus on it because there's still a lot of stuff that needs to happen um a lot of support needed in those in those areas so um they've donated that million dollars to the bush heritage australia um yeah for the bushfire and reforestation projects that are happening um through here so i think that's that's pretty good i really like the story not just Mm. Not just the fact that there's a million dollars there, um, mm. but the fact that they are putting back into focus the fact that we did get absolutely hammered at the start of this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I've um, I've got a history in the family of, uh, of firefighters. Um, me and my brothers and my mum and dad were both at the local fire brigade as volunteers for for many years. Um, the like actually there that brigade they've named their truck after my dad who helped them get funding for their for their latest truck that's fantastic Um, so you know i've been to a few bushfires and things as well and um they they can be pretty scary things but even just watching the footage um on tv on the news like around watching uh families stuck in uh malakuta down in victoria you know basically nearly having to wade into the water to get away from the fires just Mm. getting a sense of how massive that was um you know, this they really do need a lot of help. Um, so it, it's good to see Volkswagen putting a bit of focus back on on the fact that we did have such a, a massive national tragedy at the start of the year because it, it deserves a lot more um, recognition. I know everybody's got issues at the moment with with COVID nineteen and it's and it is tough. Um, but let's mm-hmm. let's not forget about uh, those communities who have lost so much and yeah, really need some support. So good to see Volkswagen mm-hmm. trying to bring that back into the four again and something that can be easily overlooked is i do like the um the focus on a couple of projects as well so that million dollars isn't just here go use it as you need it's actually so it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars is going to the um the one million trees project in the urandi nature reserve 
that's over in Western Australia. Um, and then the other yep. 750,000 is going to restore, it's, it's contributing to the project to restore 400 hectares in the Scottsdale Reserve in New South Wales. Um, so it's not just here's some money, it's actually going, here's some specific um, areas for that money to be focused on to help those projects um, get going and be completed, which I think is um, sometimes very easily overlooked when these types of donations to, are made because also um, it's very easy for that for that money just to be used and we never... You, know, you don't see any any return from that, and I, you know, it sounds very business-like, but, but going, you know, it's actually to say this is what it's going towards and, and here's a tangible result that comes from that. Um, yeah. Which well, you I see think, further yeah. along in their press release too, they talk about they did give half a million dollars at the start mm. of the year for, um, for volunteer fire brigades. And uh, obviously, you know, they need um, a lot of things now, like volunteer fire brigades, you know, try to, they run on shoestrings and donations from the communities. And, mm. you know, you see guys with the buckets at the local market, you know, always throw a note in, don't throw a coin in your cheap bastards. Um, mm. I'm not talking about you guys personally, um, but, you know, the, the volunteer fire brigades do need as much help as they can possibly get. And, you know, they, Volkswagen just went, this is for the brigades. It's not for intermediaries to manage the transfer of this, mm-hmm. that and the other. It's yep. just let's get stuff to the people mm-hmm. who need things mm-hmm. who are on the front line. So that's yeah. good to see. And there and there is so this is so this all forms part of including that five hundred thousand dollars part of that two point five million dollar donation framework that put together so again it's also yeah i think this, this shows that the, the thought and consideration that's going into this isn't just to to get the money out um yeah into it they're, they're actually putting some thoughts so they do have a further million dollars um as part of that that framework which they are currently um examining of where you know what who those recipients should be and, and obviously what projects those recipients are working on um to obviously create a positive impact rather than like what you said going through into media trees and basically by the end by the time it gets all the way down to the end of the funnel there's not very much left um so i think that's a it's it's surprising you don't often often see this level of um consideration to these types of causes and so it's kind of um yeah for me anyway it's it's nice to see that they're it's not just write a check and and here's our good bit of CSR. There's actually they're putting some effort into it, which is um which is reassuring. No, it's really good to yep. see. Bravo. All right, so um, let's let's touch on some international news. Um, I'm I'm watching the clock as we're recording because I know that I want to. Uh, I don't want to want miss a minute of uh, the the Styrian Grand Prix that will be on later on tonight. Um, but this one, call it staged PR or, or what, um, but uh, but Ford have been, or someone anyway, with a stripped-down Mustang Mach-E um, prototype, obviously, because it's, the, the development of the car isn't finished. Um, but basically, it just looks like uh, a team, an engineering team of, I don't know, it's it's... We haven't really got a lot of information, but all we do have is a video of a team of people in a heavily modified but bare-bodied, no no windows, anything prototype vehicle, and just going nuts. Burnouts, drifts, basically, you know, you've been throwing the keys and just go use up the tires and don't come back until you've used them all. Um, 
kind of uh, is is this something where they a the footage is is great um it's it's awesome to see do you think that but do you think they're trying to to really highlight that yeah this is going to be a a performance beast and it's not going to be you know an insult on the mustang name but this is actually going to have some real um you know real pedigree behind it as an ev Look, there's two ways to look at this uh, and approach it. So it's a Mustang Mach-E. It's been stripped. It looks like a. Uh, it's been turned into a race car. It's got it's got bucket seats, like proper racing seats, in the front and the rear. Um, mm. In this footage, there's at least three people I can see on board. Uh, it's missing the front and rear bumpers. It's got added cooling. If you look at the rear, you can see that it's mm. got improved cooling to obviously help with cooling the internals, both at the front and the rear, um, and obviously to help with battery power and everything. So reading in... And the suspension has changed as well as... I yeah, think and it's got a wider track. It's got different mm. the different wheels. So there's either two ways to look at it. You look at who two of Ford's uh, motorsport stars are, and you either look at Ken Block. Um, they are True. talking about the new Jim Carner and what's happening right. there. But... <clears throat> Ken's not involved as much because Travis Pastrana's doing, but Travis Pastrana is involved with Subaru and has ties to Subaru. So whether or not he'd be allowed to get into a Mustang and use this, my thought being that it has a second row of seats is that it could be a um, drift car of some description because it is drifting in this in this video you look at who Ford's drift man is and that's Vaughn Gittin Jr um, could we be seeing that he could be moving into you know an electric drift car the, you know Rallycross mm. have talked about going into electric for drift uh, for, for Rallycross um, could this be what we're seeing here could this be a car that's being built for Vaughn to compete in um, you know Formula D in an electric uh, drift car, mm. um, so you know it's it is at a at, at a track in North Carolina, which is um, has been used by um, Vaughn's team before when they've been working on his products under the under the RTR brand, um, because someone has said that in one portion of the video you can see an RTR vehicle um, in the background, yeah. one of the F one fifties. So um, look, I don't care who's doing it, whatever. I just know that if someone's doing this, this needs to, to whatever it is, I hope that the, the, the test goes well and that it becomes a final production vehicle um, because it looks like way too much time and effort has been spent on this thing for it mm. not to come to fruition. So Ford, whatever you're doing, look, take as long as you want, but let's just see this thing appear, whatever it is, you know. It mm. looks amazing. It sounds amazing. It's an electric car, but it still sounds really, really cool. Um, yeah, that's that's my thoughts, and I think it's, uh, mm. it's great to see. Look, I, I like your theories a lot more than uh, what I was thinking, so I'll just go with yours. I go, yep, <laughs> like it. <laughs> um, the only thing, the only thing that throws me off that it could be a, a specific uh, drift project is really um, when it's going around the corners. I'm not seeing the, the turning angle of the front wheels that you yeah, normally correct. do in, in drift vehicles. That's, good point, That's the Ash. only thing, um, because the, the and and there is something else going on here because you don't. Um, as far as I'm aware, and what I from what I know of product development, this isn't fairly typical behaviour when you're evaluating no. a prototype. So it, it like, comes back. So. To, 
it comes back to that second row of seats. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, SEMA is a big thing. Ford always have their Ford out front of every yep. year out the front. They're big, um, effectively a big massive ski pan where the guys are all having fun. My guess is maybe this is a vehicle that was going to be launched at SEMA. It's a, it's, it's, it's Vaughan Gittin's fun haver. It's going to be one of his vehicles that he's going to take and actually use it as a ride car um, mm-hmm. for, to give people rides in it. Um, yep. And it's been built well so that it's safe. Um, you're right, that that angle is nowhere near as severe as it would normally be in a drift car. I reckon it's uh, it's, it's some form of ride car um, it's a route based around the launch. Of it's a Cobra jet. Huh? I reckon it's a new badge. Cobra jet, yeah. Shelby. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Shelby's in North Carolina, isn't it? No, they're in Vegas. <laughs> no, no, the actual town, Shelby, North Carolina. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, I reckon maybe Cobra jet. Uh, Max yeah. something else. Mm. There's got to be a next level because everybody's already seen the mm. the Mackie, so I reckon they're going to leverage off another old name. And, and surely Ford will want to get the um, the supporter like those hardcore muscle car types um, yeah. on board by yeah. going, look, yeah, electric cars they can they can be fast on paper. You know, we know the Model S all that kind of stuff, but here's a you know balls to the wall like gone totally turned up to 11 of what you know of how true american automotive industry build performance cars yeah and is it one Um, of the things that they build of a weekend or after hours that it's a skunk works project that's going to be turned out to be something that they're going to have that they're going to then release and launch and just use it to to show how fun the ford brand is and yeah look to get the eyes and attention like we're talking about it now with you know so it's um yeah, because yeah. the the footage it do, it's not like your typical like spy footage that you see it at tracks and everything. It, it, it's like I think I said it before offline. It's like it's it's just enough shaky cam like it's in the movies to give you a sense of oh it's 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 um it's it's um chaotic Real. and you know it's just it's <laughs> just convenient fake, yeah. where the car stops in between the branches and all that kind of thing. Like you know, there's enough to thread out. But the thing is, is that the project obviously is very much it's very real. It's just you know. We're being teased in a very, I suspect, a very um, calculated way. But look, I'm, I'm happy. I, I want to see where it Blair goes. Blair Witch Project was a long time ago. We're not falling for it. Just film it, show us. That's right. right. <laughs> well, one thing uh, who won't be uh, waiting too long to show us what they've been working on is um, Maserati's first um, first hybrid vehicle, which is the the Ghibli hybrid. So the Ghibli, if um, if you're not too familiar, is their um, entry level for a Maserati sedan, um, executive sedan. Um, and uh, yeah, so they'll be unveiling their new hybrid on uh, July 16. So it's not too far away, and um, I, I somewhat have high high hopes because this is kind of like a good look into where the rest of the the family of brands, which Maserati are part of, where we could be going with these these hybrid vehicles and what technology they've been working on. Yeah, it's cool. It's coming up. It's this week. It's on Thursday, uh, about nine o'clock our time. Uh, Thursday 
Thursday night. Um, yeah, the launch of their first hybrid, and it's cool to use the Gibby as a good platform. I think that's a good start. I think it'll obviously move into other models in the range. I really love the logo, the that Maserati Trident with the yeah. the blue uh, swatch through it. I think that's really it's really nice. Um, yeah, I think this will probably progress. I think it'd be great to see a Levante with this same system, but it's obviously leading up to the launch of the MC20 um, later on in the year as well. So, yeah, mm. exciting times for, for Maserati with their, their first hybrid. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully it has a good impact. Uh, I know that Maserati have sort of gone through a bit of an ebb and flow in terms of their popularity of the product here um i know at the very beginning the levante for example had a, a really good adoption rate of it's slowly I've, i haven't seen as many on the road particularly new ones on the road um so maybe you know if this hybrid technology can move through their different um passenger vehicles um can can help create some renewed interest anyway in their in their product lineup So um, what do we think of what Jeep is uh, teasing on their Facebook page? What, what, uh, well, we know that, we know that the, the Bronco is coming this week. Uh, it's mm-hmm. coming very soon. I think this is a teaser image that went up on their face, the worldwide Jeep Facebook page 22 hours ago. It's a picture of either um, a Gladiator uh, or a Wrangler with a rather large bonnet scoop and then mm. a engine cover with the words 392 written on it so um, as Mick was kind enough to uh, to point out that's the 6 point what Mick Oh, it's Mickey. Uh, 6.4, I think. Okay, 6.4 litre yeah. V8 engine. So, Jeez, um, that's, a, yeah. that's a lot of engine in a, in a it is, little Well, we talked about the, the Durango last week that, you know, the Dodge is doing and, and stuff like that. This family likes to come out with cool horsepower in, uh, in vehicles, but to put it in this in this format into one of these um, you know people have been talking about putting a V8 into the F1 uh, sorry in the in Ranger and uh, making a V8 Raptor well I think Jeep have uh, decided that they can do it this would be cool if it's going into the Gladiator I think that's really really cool um, but yeah whatever it is we don't have an idea when um, all we have mm-hmm. is this image and yeah there's no date there's no details there's nothing so um, Jeep what you're doing can you imagine I- the actual diameter of the donut that a 392 <laughs> Gladiator could do. Yeah. <laughs> Massive pendulum. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And door off, roof off, that kind of look. That's uh, that's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. Guess, I guess they need all the power in there to create something uh, as a insane performance because we all know how terribly um, lacking of aerodynamics a Jeep Wrangler has. <laughs> it's basically a brick oh, yeah. wall driving into the wind. It's just about brute, brute force or brute power. That's it. Yeah, that's the American way. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's <laughs> cool. So it's come, it's coming, it's coming, obviously. But as to when, um, as we said, you know, the new Bronco is is coming um, at well tomorrow 
you know, our time, which will be uh, sort of Tuesday-ish US time, um, and they released another teaser during the week, another cool little promo video. But the thing, the telltale at the end was the little icon, the little graphic that came up showing the three different body styles of the, what the Brawl yeah. will have. We'll have a two-door, a four-door, and then the Sport. We knew the, the Sport was coming, and we'd, we'd seen pictures of the four and the two, roughly, in, in different formats. We thought that mm. Two versions, but yeah, this just confirms what we're getting. Um, the image is really cool because on the on the two door, it's it's had the doors off, the 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 rear roof is off, and it's just basically a very thin sort of body line Jeep style. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 exciting times. You know, people are waiting for. Um, you know the return of the Bronco for a while. Um, mm. It's been a long time coming. They announced announced it at uh, it was LA or New York a few years ago. I remember watching the uh, the live announcement of that, and I think that was the same time they they launched either the the Ford GT or the GT three fifty. So mm. um, yeah, it's it's been one of those things they've been talking about for a while. So the fact that it's that it's here uh, is really cool. The other thing they've announced is they're going to be doing an off road uh, off rodeo outdoor adventure play ground in the US so people that want to buy a Bronco can go and test it in its natural um, right wow its natural sort of habitat um so they're doing that in four locations throughout the US. So um, I'm not sure if you've noticed in, in the teaser image that they've put up is that if you look at the four-door, and I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, but it looks like its roof can be removed as well because yeah. if you look at the rear back window, you can see a bit of a roll bar like we do on the two-door at the back. So it kind of looks like it, it will be definitely going down like that Jeep Wrangler four-door, two-door version with the removable roof. I think door. it kind of has to. I think to, to mm. a Appeal to that market. I think they needed to. They needed to go down that route, and and I, I kind of think we always thought that they might, um, because it's returning it back to what it was. You know, it's its original DNA and and what it's done in the past. But uh, you look at the between the two and the four, they're fairly similar across the board with that the front end design and and the rear shape is just a little bit. Taller, it seems, just a little bit larger. It's hard to tell. That the two door looks to be on a bit more of a slope, so it's a bit it's pointing its nose down. So it might Mm. be fairly similar. But I'm intrigued to see what happens with the sport. I think the sport will be interesting to see what kind of um, market it's aimed at and what kind of technology. Do you think it's like it's got a little bit of a look of like almost like the Range Rovery, the old the uh, Freelander and yeah, the Freelander is very similar to. Yeah, what it had. Discovery Sport as well. Yeah, yeah those, sort of sport, along yeah. those lines. But yeah, so we'll we find out effectively uh, tomorrow. And again, that $100 refundable deposit if you want to order one. Um, you know, nice and simple. 100 bucks gets you gets you in the queue. That's uh, that's for American players at the moment. We, yeah. we Unfortunately, there's no confirmation. Look, no, there were rumours floating but... that it might be left-hand drive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at this stage where um, and they've already got Bronco merchandise available through Amazon. Mm, finally. Yeah. So, well, um, um, let's let's jump forward. The uh, Mazda 3 Turbo is uh, coming to the US. It's got 250 horsepower, um, plenty of torque, no manual gearbox, which, you know, been in America, I think, um, kind of fits in a particular market. Um, is this the uh, the the MPS that we never saw? Yeah, where down was under? where was this ten years ago when I bought mm. mine? <laughs> 
So you know, it's been a long time coming. The MPS disappeared off our market you know, a while ago. Um, mm. I think most of fans have been kind of waiting for it to come back. The fact that it's just been called a three turbo um, I don't know I, I kind of hope that, that maybe they try and bring back sort of MPS sort of style and stuff like that but um, yeah it's either going to be sedan or hatchback which is cool because the MPS was only ever hatch um, mm. so yeah um, yeah, it's in- intrigued um, what it'll do look where, where they'll get it here um, but yeah it's nice to see Mazda uh, trying to move back into that bit of um you know, that zoom zoom, which yeah. they, uh, you know, which they still include as their their catch cry, but um, yeah, like what you said, a few people are because the MPS models in the Mazda three and the six were were quite popular. Oh, the six MPS um, was really nice. It's a great looking, mm. um, great looking thing. So uh, the MPS was, you know, it's also that that last generation of it was was really quite quite nice and very sporty looking um, so yeah it's good to see that they're doing it hopefully we'll uh, we'll see it um, you know I'm glad they're doing the sedan and hatchback too like I mean I if we actually get one here or not I don't know but I do tend to like the sedan better than the hatch for the for the new model yeah there's definitely some really nice lines about it and I think to, like you said to see that we get both um, is you know is really cool to get both to get both both shapes yeah, and let's. I think. Look, we'll see how long it takes um, for something exciting for somebody to realise that yes, uh, we should bring those models back down under. But um, but let's let's jump on something which. Uh, I don't know, what, a bit what Rolls Royce revealed with the the Wraith. So the Wraith Crypt Cryptos collection um, is basically one of their bespoke collective um, creations and what it is is it actually has um, one of the designers has a passion for cryptography and there's only be 50 of them but what it is is that throughout the car there's a a labyrinth of complex ciphers um, and only the CEO uh, is the only one that knows the answer Um, oh no sorry only two people uh, actually know uh, actually know the full resol- the full full sequence of what it is and it's the designer and, and the, the chief executive uh, of Rolls-Royce but yeah it it, there are codes delivered all the way through the actual car um, and yeah if you if you if you can solve it um, yeah it's 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 quite interesting so um, it's it's 42, do you, do you get anything answer. for solving it <laughs> do you get a do you get a second Rolls Royce if you solve it or what, what's the uh, what's they the actually, payoff they actually haven't said uh, see, and what answers will the code bring? I wonder. I wonder if, um, uh, hope, hopefully, somebody who buys, you know, one of who who ends up being the owner of one of these cars involves the um, the internet to to solve it. I think that'd be really cool to um, to see and to solve. Um, we've got plenty of uh, ultra wealthy YouTuber 
stars. So maybe one of those places an order and uh, we'll be able to follow along and uh, see what the answer is. Yeah. So um, that's a cool, that's a cool I'm, little I'm thing. Certainly, I'm certainly interested. Yeah. I mm. mean, I'm interested to see even just what the ciphers look like and what sort of what sort of form they take. It's, uh, I mean, they haven't really described much. They just say it's going to be difficult. So symbols, pictograms, and ciphers. I mean, mm. that, that could be just about anything. Yeah, it's fairly involved by the looks of it and across the across Where's the board. Nicolas Cage? We need him. <laughs> National <laughs> treasure of the Rolls-Royce edition. That's right. Lock him in a room and uh, put a film crew in there too. <laughs> Uh, I think this is cool. I, I, I have. I think it really highlights the um, Rolls Royce and their um, just supreme attention to detail and um, and their ability to do something like this um, and and pull it off in in what I expect to be a a very um, very clever way. Um, yeah, it's very it, clever thinking about what it is and and the amount of effort and that to go in for yeah. it as well as um, yeah. They don't they don't mention price, but I do expect that if a, a typical wraith will run you about one to one point one million, depending on you know what options and you know how crazy you go with your spec, I I suspect this um this carries a little bit more of a premium over the even your standard uh, wraith model. Um, being being limited to just fifty, and being unique as it is as well. <laughs> mm. But uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, pretty cool. Don't see that too often. No. But let's. Uh, oh, I was smashing through this news. Lots of news. Um, so Lamborghini revealed another limited edition Roadster. Um, looks like it's based on the the Aventador. Is that? Is that yeah. right? They're, they're high, it's, a, it's a hybrid version, though. Open-top hybrid super sports car uh, engineered around their V12 called the Cyan. I'm going to try and get the Cyan Roadster, uh, produced in only a limited series of just 19 units, and they're already sold. So, uh, yep, no point reading the news release because, well, there's, <laughs> there's no point. Um, apart from it is a – when looking at the photos, it almost looks like um, someone learning and – and this is – yeah, and I don't mean to sort of be disrespectful to the designer, but it looks like a, a senior um, or, a you know, like a final project for a design course of, you know, if you were to design your own car – um, sports car, what would it look like? And you know how they go really outlandish and, and throw in some really like bold um, statements because you've got like, uh, we say that 22 inch wheels are massive, but this in the image look way bigger than that. Um, I think because it's so yeah. low to the ground, it looks it looks good. But the yeah. um, the lines around it, it's just a really, really nice take on the Aventador and just taking it to the next level, like the, that whole front end around the lights, the across the bonnet, the lines around there, and then you go to the rear and it's just something else it's just mm. it's a really is a work of art reminds me back to the Revit the Reviton the Reviton you know that's mm. still one of the best yeah. Lamborghini cars yeah. that ever made um, in that matte black it's you know Bruce Wayne before Bruce Wayne in in um 
the Dark Knight series of films. It's just, you know, just amazing. Yeah, pretty cool. Nice work, Lamborghini, um, but only 19 units. So, yeah, I don't think... I don't know whether we'll ever see one in Oz at 19 units. I don't think uh, we'll probably see one here. It'd be nice if someone had, but, uh, yeah, I don't uh, like our chances of seeing I have a feeling uh, most will end up in the US, uh, yeah. in, in LA and... Yeah, there's a couple of collectors over there Florida. I think would definitely put their name on it. Uh, they've yeah. got some nice car collections, so... Going from uh, something exotic to that, do we move to something that's probably not quite as exotic, but still uh, a hot hatch? Um, Honda. More attainable at the very Yeah, least. exactly. <laughs> and something that we can all basically jump in and drive and, uh, and you know, is, uh, is, is a bit more of the affordable end. But Honda have taken their Civic Bar and broken another lap record. Yeah, they've they've been in a bit of a hot streak for for front wheel drive um, records, but this one's been done at the Suzuka um, circuit over in uh, in Japan. So obviously it makes sense that Honda have been uh, got on that uh, that uh, campaign to to get that record. And so it's oh, two minutes uh, twenty three seconds and point nine nine three. So it's pretty pretty good lap time for that I must admit and um, of course uh, they did it with a limited edition um, going under its final performance evaluation so it's um, and that model is coming here we're going to have got, 20, just 20 examples being mm-hmm. built for Australia mm-hmm. so you get a reduction yeah. of unsprang weight so they're using BBS 20 inch forged aluminium wheels um, so they're unique to the, to this limited edition Um they're using the Sport Cup 2 tyres from Michelin um, to obviously get that extra bit of performance around the track. And um, they've employed some exclusive uh, setups for the adaptive damper system and the electric power system, uh, power steering. Obviously, just tuning that just a little bit more um, to eke out as much performance without obviously needing to, to spend too much money on uh, the rest of the setup. So, And that's really effective ways. If you can get that suspension and steering working exactly right, you, you can actually get a, a that, that you know a sizable amount of performance out of that out of that car by adjusting those. Um, I'm, I'm glad. I'm so glad they did the Type R for the for the Civic. Mm. Was, oh yeah. They, uh, yeah. I mean, it it just it's it's been out for a while now, and I still look at it and just think, wow, that's fully aggressive. They've really gone all out with the design. They've done a few things that are sort of a bit off kilter and. Um, you know, off, they kind of upset a few people when they when they look at it, but I don't know. There's just they really got it right. Even I mean, the RS even looks kind of good, but the Type R have mm. just um, they've done a really good job of establishing not just a you know a design benchmark, but also a, a front wheel drive performance benchmark. So you know, all credit to them. They've done a, they've done a really great job. Mm. I'd so love to see them do a Civic um, sedan type R because that sedan is one good looking car. Really, really nice looking. That sedan is really, really cool. Um, and I reckon that'd be, be be cool to do. I know they've spent a lot of time in it turning into the hatch, but yeah, I think the sedan would be pretty awesome. But yeah, that, that in our in that uh, sedan in RS spec is, uh, this is one is, good looking this is thing. The, do, you, do you mean the hatch? Because this is the sedan, isn't it? No, this is the hatch. Ah, I always the hatch and the sedan are so similar sometimes. In the it's kind of sorry, 
Yeah, no, they do a, they yeah, do a, did, but, yeah. a um, Civic Sam, which is See, this really is what awesome. happens when Honda don't give me cars to, to review. <laughs> I, I just don't understand their product line. There you go. Don't blame me. Blame blame everybody else. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah. cool to see, and it's good to see that we're getting that, uh, that model down under. So I yeah. might have to uh, speak to my friends at Honda and see what we can uh, possibly arrange once mm. uh, lockdown finishes down here. Because so if, if you're a big fan of lap records, so you got the so it currently or it had a 2017. It set the uh, the Nurburgring um, Nordschleife lap record for the front wheel drive car at seven minutes 43.8. Um, it's got Suzuki now. It also um, in 2019 with Jensen Button behind the wheel. It set the benchmark lap for around Bathurst um, for for that. So it's uh, it's certainly got it's built up some pedigree for a car that doesn't race um isn't part of any official racing series it's certainly uh, building up it's uh it's uh what is it victims list of um <laughs> list of achievements um on tracks so it's uh yeah no it's done it's done well for what it, for what it's for what it is uh, the records that it's knocked off mm. um so yeah we go from uh, we go from uh, a hot hatch to a uh, hot uh, SUV Aston Martin's first DBX um their new luxury SUV has come off the the line in Wales yeah i think this is this is the car that um is certainly going to be uh, there's a lot of hopes from the Aston Martin side that this is going to be the car that that really bolsters their their existence. I know that they've been going through some financial troubles lately, and COVID certainly didn't um, didn't help with that. Um, but I, I think from from the looks of it, the initial impressions, it's actually a great SUV, um, but particularly given that this is their first. Um, first SUV but it seems like uh, everything they've done they've, they've been really purposeful in in how they've developed it and, and, and focused on particular areas to ensure that obviously it's deserving of the Aston Martin um, badge whether you think Aston Martin or not should be building an SUV it's I know there's some people that's still upset about that but it's like you know everybody's doing it they need to do it to survive um, you know there are customers that want something like this so and if it means that we can still keep getting the sports cars and, and supercars that that we already love well you know that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make anyway <laughs> yeah look I, it's for all, all the sports SUVs out there, I, I think most of them all have a bit of a proportionate compromise when you look at them. Like visually, they have mm-hmm. um, they kind of get the mass in the wrong places. Some things they have to stretch or or bend a little bit to try and get the you know the corporate ID into the design. But the DBX. They seem to have nailed those proportions perfectly. I'm sure it's going to handle like an absolute champion. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know how much I love performance SUVs, i.e. not very much. Um, but I think the DBX is probably one of my preferred, um, at least visually anyway. I don't know if we're going to get a um, one to drive around. That'd be nice. Thanks, Aston Martin. Um, but I, I think they've, they're probably going to be onto a bit of a winner for this one. I think they're going to do pretty good out of it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, there's there's not much um, to really complain about with it. They've yeah, unlike the the first generation Porsche Cayenne, which is just for me anyway, it was completely all the wrong thing. Um, 
Aston have done just a yeah a great job of adapting a design language that has been so focused on cars um, that they've adapted it quite well um, and still been able to retain most of that Aston Martin DNA and you know their rules for proportions and things like that. So yeah, it's uh, looking forward to to seeing one on the road. I'm sure there'll be a few getting around um, around here. Uh, in no time I hope Although so it'll be popular I think yep. yeah it's uh, it's a good looking thing and I think those with the passion for the brand will definitely be signing up yeah. to look if, if Lamborghini can send can sell a, tol- a ton of SUVs on Aston Martin being you know that little bit more sophisticated and brand presentation I think you know not going to have any troubles nah I want to see uh, James Bond do a barrel roll in one. (laughs) It'll it'll all be golden after that. Mm. Mm, uh, Okay, I was trying to think of a funny segue, but didn't. Yeah, I was trying to get to one as well. We go we go from one I one SUV like uh, like James Bond crashes Aston Martins. One SUV into another. So, so what's this one? I haven't really been kept keeping up with. Uh, so, what is it? The Torsus. Um, Torsus Terrastorm uh, is engineered like to be the world's yeah, most capable four x four minutes, um, based on the Volkswagen Crafter um, and Man TGE chassis. So, Man is obviously one of those off-road truck manufacturers. Um, and if I am Right, I think. Um, so it's designed basically as an off-road um, people mover um, that has got, you know, it's basically take a Volkswagen Crafter um, and literally turn it into um, something that you can take <laughs> into the dirt and, and stuff like that. Just so about maybe, anywhere by the look of it. Just yeah, pretty much. And... Um, this is hilariously awesome. And it's able to transport for 21 so passengers. Ridiculous. Perfect thing for you up your way, guys, on Fraser. I reckon that'd be a bit of fun. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. If, anybody's, if, if anybody wants a description, um, think of Jurassic Park 3... Um, <laughs> You know, like yeah. uh, when they when they have those vans and trucks that are modified with the big bull bars uh, and it's everything. Two. Is it two? I it's think two. there's some in three as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, think Jurassic Park, overdone, private, you know, you know, evil corporation kind of looking modified vehicles. And particularly with that big Torsus name on the side, mm. I think that's exactly the um, the look and I love it. Uh, it's from the taking from the press release to signal ambition to set new standards in the heavy duty 4x4 mini bus market. <laughs> I'm not cool. sure what sort of standards already set in regard to the uh, heavy duty four x four minibus market, um, but yeah, well, there's I'm a couple sure of them getting around on Fraser. When I did a Fraser two years ago, we went something not really the same as this, but I could see that that kind of market anywhere you want mm. to do any kind of sort of tour, but you want to have something that's capable to take lots of people. This thing is um, is perfect for it. So um, they come from uh, come out of the Czech Republic. So, interesting. Wow. You know, it means serious business when you've got uh, the over-the-shoulder... Um, uh, Seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, like it almost looks like it's meant to be a four-point harness. Yeah. I think <laughs> you it gets know, thrown around in it, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's good logic, I think. Yeah, pretty impressive. Um, they, don't, they don't mention anything about... Um, 
pricing, um, but I assume it won't be a very uh, cheap affair. No, but I think for that, for what it is, it's it's a unique, you know, your unique selling position for what it is and what it, what you can do with it. So yeah, I think uh, if you have to ask the price, you can't afford it, and uh, it's not for you. It's designed mm. for someone that wants to spend the money for because they have a, a need to take multiple people off road. <laughs> yeah. So let's going back to a to a vehicle that is not designed at all to be any sort of off extreme off-roading vehicle um but environmentally friendly um so it seems like so it's a bit confusing um how this is worded but basically this is an international press release um but and and they say that no adaptions have been made to cater for the Australian market uh but then the whole press release talks about how um Bridgestone, um, the tire makers have basically created new, um, they call it enlightened technology, which p- produces super low rolling resistance to conserve battery power in Volkswagen's ID3. Um, so it can, it saves about two kilos of, um, of uh, raw materials and um, yeah it can extend the extend the range of the, the battery so it's a bit confusing because obviously if Bridgestone are going to the effort and partnering with Volkswagen um, to produce these and then they're saying that no adaptions have been made or unless I'm just reading that note completely wrong um, but I like what Bridgestone have done I think this is sort of like the next big area um, we're going we've spent so much time in developing performance tyres um, to maximise grip and and to to really you know eke out every tenth around um, the the racetrack, but obviously you know we're heading into a completely different sort of type of motoring now, where it is all about saving um, you know saving conserving battery power and um, you know maximising air airflow and all that kind of thing. So you go from fuel economy for vehicles, you know, Bridgestone are big on making sure that their products work well in terms of working with every kind of vehicle from, you know, SUVs to, to, to your daily drivers and things like that. So the fact that they're um, now moving into the electric market and working with someone like Volkswagen on the ID3, you know, it makes sense to, to, to then... Like it says, to help help reduce rock resistance so that it's more economical, that you don't use as much battery power, and so it's you know it's it's helping to keep the um, the range of the vehicle longer. So yeah, it's you know it's logical. Oh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see though. It'll, it'll be interesting to see though how they actually perform because um, you know one of the issues with. Um, low rolling resistance tyres is the fact that they don't grip as well. So you're not going to break as well. And I assume the development that they've made here, they're trying to get that um, ability to reduce the low rolling resistance, but also when you need it to be able to um, establish equivalent or better um, braking performance as well. So um, mm. I, it's still it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll I'll be interested to see what sort of difference there is in regard to actually being able to pull up, because that is one of the main functions of your tyres. Obviously, is to stop um, as well as disperse water and uh, maintain lateral grip mm. around corners and all that sort of thing. Even- so, Putting and even yeah. putting power down because we know that electric vehicles have a huge amount of torque um, compared to you know an equivalent passenger yeah. vehicle as well. So it's also that that flip side. They do mention in um, in the press release that the uh, 
the project does benefit from the collaboration that Volkswagen and and um, and uh, Bridgestone have had, um, including you know breaking the electric powered vehicle lap record on the Nurburgring. Um, so they're saying that that you know they they do mention that there is a little bit of that DNA, and obviously those lessons learned from there. Now you do have to you know also think consider that. Um, doing a, a, a lap record around the Nurburgring isn't obviously about conserving battery power. Um, it's it's about putting speed down, and obviously, if you're driving out on yep. the road, it doesn't necessarily you know um, you won't be going for a Nurburgring lap time every time you go to the shops. Um, but Bridgestone also have yep. history with the Solar Power Challenge as well, so they've mm, been working with a, yeah. working with electric vehicles for a long period along the, mm-hmm. along those lines as well. So working to help you know, getting further with those judges each day on their battery power and stuff like that. So they've worked in that area for quite a long period of time. So it's a it's a perfect partnership. I'd like to mention here too about um, the B-Seal technology, uh, which ensures temporary air retention in case of a puncture in the tread area, allowing the vehicle to keep going. So I wonder if... So one of the things that you have in... Um, aviation fuel tanks for military aircraft is when you shoot it, a bullet can go into it, but the mm. the tank essentially seals itself so that Reseals it doesn't leak. It. Yeah. So it's potentially a similar sort of um, activity. I don't know whether it'd be like an internal goo in the tire or something. I'm not, I'm not sure how that would actually work, but you know, one of my issues I always have is you don't have a full size spare. Yeah. Um, perhaps they're getting around that now. Be able, to, but again, it'll be up to whether or not that. Um, when the seal has um, been initiated, is that going to then reduce your performance of the tyre? Are you going to be limited to 80 kilometres for 80 kilometres now, the same thing as you normally would with a with a small spare or not? I don't know. But that, that'll be an interesting technology as well. Mm. And, you know, that's another uh, weight-saving issue too. You get rid of that spare tyre, you're immediately saved, you know, sort of, 15 or 20 kilos out of the um, the weight of the vehicle, which obviously is going to improve your uh, range. Well, it's as also well. space you get for a bigger battery too. Exactly. That's why both yeah. the hybrids that Subaru had don't run space savers uh, or spares because they've got that space for battery. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So look, obviously, it's you know it, it is that balance of um, of performance. We know that, like I know from driving um, a number of different pure EVs and hybrid vehicles, where they do use. <laughs> Um, environmentally focused tyres, you know, all about economy and and, and that kind of thing. Um, You do have a little bit of a compromise. Obviously, if if they could make an environmentally friendly tyre where it uses less materials and and improves um, fuel economy as well as retains all the performance benefits from a a sports-orientated tyre, Everybody would use them on every car. Um, yeah, that's right. So there is always yeah. going to be that compromise, and 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 part of this obviously is that they're talking about how this technology they're investing in it, and um, hopefully will be along that path of you know bridging that gap between the performance tires and um, the uh, economical tires. But um, yeah, so obviously you know all of this takes time to develop, and and this is obviously they deem as a fairly big step forwards. Um, for them in in that type of development. 
But let's let's jump on some motorsport news. So we had um, Formula One come back. It had it had its drama. We had some unexpected things happen um, in the uh, in the first race. Well, obviously, we've got the second race coming up very very shortly um, after we finish recording this. Um, what did you guys think? What did you guys think of having Formula One back uh, last weekend? And obviously, basically, we're going to have back to back races till the end of the year. We suspect so far. Oh, Hamilton, what a numpty. Poor Alex Albon. (laughs) Alex Albon coughs it again. That was, um, yeah, that was quite rude, I think, him pushing him off at the end there. Um, I thought it was a pretty good race. Um, There was a lot of excitement towards the end. Um, it's, It's hard with Formula One because... You know, everything, like when you look at the difference between lap times and how close these cars are, even though you've got the very top um, performance guys like Hamilton and Bottas up in the in the Mercedes space and you've got, ever, you've got Grosjean down the other end who has terrible luck and sometimes just um, mm. terrible management. Um, they're still so incredibly close between the top teams and the end teams that everything has to run exactly perfectly. And it's only those tiny little millisecond errors that are the difference between winning a race and losing a race. So Mm. for some people, I think they can watch Formula One and kind of consider it to be a little bit boring. But for me, I like watching everybody running exactly perfectly for the whole time as much as they can. You know, I, I love it. I love watching F1. Honestly, and it's it's great to have it back. Mm. But it, so, don't you guys? Do you guys find because a lot of people get sort of the middle of the races where it's all the fuel saving parts um, can be a little yeah, bit look, tedious. For me, Formula One races are you want to watch the opening few laps um and then you can tune out for a little bit and then um you can tune in with about within the last half hour or so of the race when um everybody's strategies all start falling apart and um somehow mercedes you know the strategy ends up working perfectly fine and um you know then that's it but i think the thing that really has made this season quite different is the um is Ferrari I call it chaos. You know, it's the chaos that's <laughs> ensued where um, teams have been developing without really much opportunity to be testing it in real terms or outside of simulators and wind tunnels. And um, there's also... So we, we saw a lot of mechanical failures happen in the last race, and um, but the thing is, is that what we got to, what we get to see with a couple of these back to backs, and it starts with uh, this back to back tonight, is we actually get to try and hopefully see some material improvement of the development, even though it's one week, but we could see. In, in real terms, what type of performance gains these teams can get um, when they get to go back and revisit a track with lessons learned from a previous race? Um, normally, we just they yeah. move on to the next track and obviously with no, setups no, no, no. and this, a whole lot of things different tend to change. What are you talking about? Pardon? This is a different race. It's called something else. What is it? Yeah, it's the, a Styrian GP. The Styrian. It's completely different. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you? Has anyone got pit lane on at the moment? Is it raining? No, it's dry. No, looks it's like dry weather, and the, hot. Yeah, the weather looks good. Awesome. Uh, there was uh, there's some shots out of the um, I think it was the F2 or um, so Mick Schumacher um, ended up 
having to finish the race early because his fire suppression system within the cockpit went off unexpectedly. So whether that was just something that sensor triggered it by accident or he pulled a button or, or something um so that put a premature end but what we saw in some of the um in the cars coming into the um the the pit lane um temperatures were a really big thing so not only were brake discs absolutely glowing um but catching in fire catching on fire when they came into uh the pit stops and um kudos to the uh the teams that are working on those pit stops because they brakes glowing on fire rip off the tire put the tire on clearing the brake ducts with their with their gloves and uh then the car off it goes and there's flames and you know when, when you've got um ceramic discs glowing at that rate you know it's hot you know it's extremely hot particularly when they just catch on fire when there's no movement so um yeah obviously creates some great drama but also shows that i think uh what we're going to see today is um with the the conditions being quite hot um there's i'm seeing on twitter that mercedes are going to have to keep off those curbs once again because yeah they had real problems last weekend with that yeah so that almost ruined the race completely for them barring um the the five second penalty that hamilton got um, but yeah, so um, yeah, I'm, I, I just really would love to see, um, and, and we're going to get some tracks that we haven't seen in a long time. So um, Miguelo is one of those tracks um, that we'll get to see, and we haven't seen in a long time on an F1 calendar. So we're going to see. I think it's uh, three Italian races, and um, the Miguelo uh, Miguelo track is going to be Ferrari's 1000th uh, GP, so it's going to be a bit special. Um, for them on that one and obviously a good PR move for them fingers crossed they can get their cars um, and the whole team and their act together for uh, for that race to make it worthwhile what did you guys think uh, end of the race last week do you think Hamilton should have um, uh, Bottas should have let Hamilton go past so he could have extended his lead beyond the five seconds so he could have still got a third no, no. I think the I think, I think the only thing that the the sorry, um, Joel, but I think one of the uh, things that the broadcast didn't get quite right with the the Sky team is I think the Sky team were about a lap behind what they thought the race result was, and so when now talking about oh whether you know should Hamilton be let past to to make up that five seconds to pre- preserve the space um, or the placings, um, they were already on that final lap and they're already come around to the to the finish. So I think um, by the time we caught we started talking about it anyway um, from a commentator's point of view, um, it's already too late. It's already too late. Um, and I think Bottas probably might not have had the confidence that Hamilton may have just kept it at the five seconds and, and not extended it a little bit further to, you know, to get the lead. Um, yeah, I reckon I he's good at it. Exactly you'd always have that. to have that run through the back of your head as well if the if the, if the yep. call from the team came through. Multi-21, multi-21. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited um, for Magello though. I think that's it's a good-looking track. There's quite a bit of... Um, uh, sort of height in the track it goes Huge you, know, you, you, you drop yeah. off and climb a fair bit as well so um, it should be quite good to, to watch it's a track that um, has never hosted a GP I think if I'm correct um, 
Yeah, that's I right. Think, yeah, yeah. Um, they've done yeah, Formula right. Two or Formula Renault, I think. Weber um, Ricardo was talking test. about how much he liked it. Weber oh. did a test there at one point, and um, and he said that uh, his neck was extremely sore after just the the handful of um, test laps that he did. So he's like, I can't wait to see a race there, yeah, um, because necks are gonna snap. And I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, well, we Particularly all get our like, enjoyment out of different things. That's right. Um, Particularly when we saw, like, even in the wet qualifying, um, Hamilton was getting like two and a half G's lateral on a completely wet um, lap, and they're getting near five G's on some of those corners at the Red Bull ring. So imagine um, with the fast corners on uh, Miguel, what we're going to see um, in yeah. terms of G numbers. I think it's going to be spectacular. It's uh, it's going to be interesting, that's for sure, because you know we've got. Uh, obviously Austria this weekend Hungary next weekend um, and on Hungary the uh, the restrictions around what they they can and can't do next weekend for you know basically to avoid COVID issues is uh, very very strict so they have to be including up to even jail time um, if you don't follow the rules that Hungary has down has set down so um, and then from there we go to Great Britain twice um, and then Spain Belgium and then and Italy so uh, and then we're going to finish off in at the, I think at the moment is um, Sochi, Sochi at the moment yeah, but, but they're they, expecting a few more races to, to make it in well, heading so to think, the Middle um, East I think to probably finish off the season yeah, the latest is that they probably will be racing right up and right up until Christmas. I think the last uh, discussions were so. I think um, you know, despite we've had a really long wait, and um, obviously we'll have some exciting things in, in next season, um, such as Alonso returning to Renault. Which is um, great 2021, which is exciting. I think a few people will be like, uh, maybe we should let some newer drivers come through. Is Alonso past his prime? You know, is it? There's a lot of discussions that you could have around that. Um, but, but I the think thing it, is, there's a lot of a lot of the junior drivers or the younger drivers that don't have enough points for a super license. Mm. So they might be good. You know, they might be good. Uh, drivers and stuff, but if you don't have enough people to get a license, but the thing is, is that you know, um, Ocon is in his sort of first year with Renault. They kind of need a senior, a more senior driver to come in. So Alonso's mm. a great choice yep. for Renault to bring in to help him um, as more of a mentor and, and help him understand, you know, about F1 and then things like that. So I think it's it's a, it's a smart choice by Renault. Um, uh, I think Alonso has sort of hinted that he's more interested about what will happen for 2022 than 2021 because of the the change in regulations and so forth. So he's hoping that Renault will be ahead of the curve in, in that respect. Uh, so I think it'll be good, you know, and I hope it is for him. He's still doing it in the Indy 500 this year, which is, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, with McLaren. Yeah, with McLaren, which is fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, he's done a fair bit in the last since he since he left the World of F1 so it's good to have him back so yeah bring on uh, bring on next year I'm excited to see how he does mm. nice it's going to be an exciting time um, but obviously with the with the lockdown there's been a bit of a mad dash um, for, for some teams um, that are based in Victoria 
Joel, um, to make sure that the supercar teams uh, basically can uh, obviously make it to, to races. Yeah, so it was a bit of a, with the, the news that the rumour was that the borders were going to be closed uh, this week. Um, a lot of the supercars were on the phone, teams were, were on the phone talking to each other and, and to supercars themselves and, and literally when the phone call came through and said, look, literally you need to um, get cars in trucks and get across the border. Um, it was a mad panic, but you know all the, the all the Vic teams did a really good job. Uh, most of them um, cars were kind of half prepped because it's not too far away. But some of them, you know, had engines out and things like that. So all the guys have literally thrown them into it. They've told their team to go home, pack uh, for at least sort of a month to eight weeks, depending on how far they'll be away for, um, and literally all got across the border. Apparently, Goulburn was a busy town to be in uh, that night because most of them stayed in Goulburn um, and then a lot of them then drove to, to City Motorsport Park I mean well done for City Motorsport Park opening their doors allowing the teams to come in early use it as a base um, to allow them to, to drop the cars off set them up in the garages and work on them um, and then obviously people like uh, Kelly's have gone to their farm which is just across the border from um, uh, in the that, that looks like the best remote HQ yeah. I think I've seen online. <laughs> well, then <laughs> er- looks like, <laughs> and their Erebus have gone to the Clemenco's farm as well. So there's a couple of teams working out of uh, farms at the moment, but um, yeah, it was a bit of a mad panic for most of the guys. And uh, Nick Perkett, for example, went home, grabbed his dog, grabbed his go kart, and literally jumped on the road. <laughs> of so he, he grabbed, grabbed his dog. He, he grabbed his two. He grabbed his two two biggest loves in his life besides his race car, his dog and his go kart, and jumped. To the car and headed across so um yeah the thing is now is that um there's all talk that they may try and do an f1 style thing and make maybe make Darwin a double header um so they can stay out of victoria which is sad because we might we not might not see around here this year if, if things happen um they're talking about trying to make it a float between um city Bosport park to darwin to um to townsville um and then um, you know, maybe something at Queensland Raceway. Um, mm. So they stay in that. You know, the good thing is now that the um, Queensland border is now open, um, it's made. So at the moment, we have got next weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park, then we head to Darwin in the start of August, and then Townsville at the end of August. Uh, we're supposed to come back to, to, to Melbourne for Sandown in September, and then Bathurst in October, and then Perth in October, and then Tassie in November, um, and then Sydney, you know, night race again in December. So, look, there's a couple there that may be a little bit iffy now, uh, particularly probably maybe Tassie and Perth, um, and possibly Sandown. But yeah, we'll keep an eye on, on what's happening. But um, yeah, we, we get a we get a night race this weekend. Um, at the Super Sprint uh, so I'm intrigued to see uh, how those but um, yeah uh, the way that, that everyone has reacted to um, what they've needed to do and to get the teams packed and across the border has been, uh, been pretty impressive hmm I want to see him back at Lakeside. They've <laughs> <laughs> already got problems with the neighbours complaining about um, normal cruise days and things. I'm sure they'd love to have uh, V8 supercars moving around there. Mm. It's actually a pretty good track too. There's not a lot of room for uh, for overtaking and things, but um, it'd be entertaining. Not a lot of room for mistakes. Um, full no, <laughs> no. Uh, it's a it's a good track if uh, if you love to 
to fly by the city of your pants and um, really hope that you don't put it into the wall after the bridge. Yep. So, um, yeah, it's a good track. Good, exciting one. Well, man, a lot of news that we've gone through uh, in this episode. And um, so, so what have you got next, Mick? Uh, was it the Kona EV you mentioned earlier? Yes, Kona EV. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into that, actually. it's um, I, I like the quiet... Um, the quiet attitude of EVs. Uh, it's got quite a bit of torque, actually. The the Kona uh, yeah, gets along does. quite well. Um, but yeah, I'll be doing a few nerdy calculations about um, CO2 and also uh, without getting too much into it because I need to run inside and watch the F1 race. I'm not streaming yeah. it from inside my home <laughs> office like you guys are. Yeah. You got 13 um, minutes, Mickey. But <laughs> hey, you got 13 yeah, minutes. Um, but the. Uh, so the interesting thing about the hydrogen stuff, which I'll touch on next week, is that they're talking about, and it kind of relates back to the leaf thing as well, um, moving energy from one place to another. So, um, you know, with the leaf, they're talking about getting energy from the battery and returning it back to another place. So the, the big issue about renewable energy and EVs and even with hydrogen is the ability to store energy that you've gathered. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they're investigating with uh, hydrogen development is to uh, use the electricity generated by renewable energy, converting that into hydrogen and then storing the hydrogen for later electrolysis to use electricity in other sources. So, you know, you use a solar panel to create the electricity. From that, you do a reverse electrolysis process to turn it into hydrogen. So that's Mm -hmm. the generation of hydrogen technology that they've that they've been talking about and currently investigating Um, so i'm going to have a look at what sort of energy is required to be able to convert renewable energy into hydrogen and then stored and then back through the electrolysis process to create electricity to actually drive a vehicle Um, it's it's still not quite there yet so my statement last week about it about hydrogen being the uh the e-cigarette of the energy industry at the moment um that's still true but australia is investing a great deal of money in technology Mm -hmm. to be able to get that um, process down to a uh, a cost competitive level where hydrogen produced from renew- renewable energy is more cost effective than mm-hmm. producing it from fossil fuels. So currently I think it's about $2 a kilogram for production from fossil fuels and that's that's the marker they're trying to get to from production against renewable energy. It's It's a bit of a hard target at the moment. They're not really anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is quite interesting stuff when you, when you when you look at it. It's um, it's a little bit of a shift in in focus from what you normally think about. Okay, I've got petrol and now I'm going to be able to drive this far. Um, they're talking about the energy density and the efficiency of electrolysis of the um, yeah of the electrolysis process to see how much energy you can get out of it. So you can get thirty three point three kilowatt hours of energy out of one kilo of hydrogen which is pretty good so if you're looking at um, two kilos of hydrogen you're getting 66 kilowatt hours which is a um, an average um, uh, battery charge so that's four dollars which is pretty good so i'll be doing some nerdy numbers around that but yeah that's where i'm at so far 
Well, yeah. given that I'll be jumping in uh, kind of just after you, I'll be, um, yeah, it's, I can't wait to have that discussion about the, the hydrogen because I think, yeah, like you said, there's, there's so much going on um, that, that people really don't realise um, and, and we're certainly heading down that path um, and, and we're either going to end up at a, at a point where hydrogen and electric coexist um, in, in the means of um, yep. those fuel cells or, you know, and, and completely kill off um, internal combustion or we're going to we're gonna find ourselves in a, in a really interesting space where, you know, with hydrogen, um, they can run off internal combustion engines as well. So even, you know, we might even find a very interesting future where we have hydrogen-powered electric vehicles or, you know, um, just plain EVs that are, that are running off um, renewable, other types of renewable energy or, you know, a really weird mix. But either way, the, the path that we're going down is going down to one where essentially most of the vehicles are going to have zero emissions. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really exciting thing. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, uh, it's just sort of picking up right now um, where, we're, you know, we're talking about this because things are actually happening in that space. So I think, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, Joel, sure. so you, you're going to have a whole heap more of uh, editing, preparing. You've got, obviously, the uh, the Shannon stuff going on. Um, and, uh, obviously, if you have time, you'll be diving into F1 uh, 2020. Yeah, that's the plan, uh, to, trying to get to finish off this uh, the video stuff um, this week and then, um, yeah, heading, uh, driving F1 2020 Schumacher edition um, and train and have a go at that so hopefully we'll have a bit of a report next week to um, mm-hmm. to talk about uh, what that's like uh, excellent well it's, uh, yeah particularly with the new career mode where you can sort of you know have your own team and, and drive its own development I think uh, is one of the big things for this for this year um, so yeah keen to keen to hear how you go uh, with that um for what me, yourself, uh, Ash, what are you driving? So I'm, so I'm driving the Tucson Elite um, from Hyundai. The moment their their SUV that sits just below the the Santa Fe in terms of size. Um, mm-hmm. So I picked up picked that up on Friday. I've sort of had a few, you know, obviously a few days already. Um, to, to get acquainted with it but um, I need to spend a little more time just to, to understand the ins and outs of where it really fits in and um, uh, whether is it the I, 1.6 I like it uh, yes it is yeah um, cool so it's uh, I don't know I need, I need to spend some more time with it before I can sort of really come up with uh, uh, a real impression of it I guess um because yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting vehicle where it where it fits in, in sort of the the range of engines they have and, and different spec levels as well. It's a very crowded um, lineup for just a. That's single, the model below line. the Highlander. Yeah, even yep. though for me, Elite, I think of well, that's the top one um, <laughs> from yeah. a, from a from a naming convention wise. Yeah, the Elite kind of sounds like the top premium platinum whatever that sort yeah. of thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it yep. does. Um, but uh, but yeah no so it's uh, yeah it, it kind of ticks most boxes but then at the same time you, you start to think about well what else is there against it and you go mm, okay all right how does it really stack up um, once you really yeah you know, once you have some other things into consideration 
But yep. um, but we'll talk about that more next week. Um, if you have any questions or if you want to see us driving anything particular, you can um, you can always send us an email shows at dailyautofix.com. Uh, you can reach us out reach out to us uh, on at Daily Autofix as well. Or if you want to follow along, what uh, what Joel. Or Mick are doing. You can follow Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo or Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Um, but uh, thanks again for for staying with us to the end. And um, yeah, we can't wait to to dig into this race that's going on right now. And um, we're about to kick off. And um, yeah, we can't wait to to talk to you guys again next week. Right, I'm leaving you too. Goodbye. <laughs> See you next week, See gents. Ya. <laughs> See ya.